I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, and it's Friday! Yay! Ah, what a great day. Friday, which is, as you know, the eve of Saturday. It is Saturday Eve. <laughs> <laughs> the day you don't have to get up at 440. Or shave. Or shave. I shaved and cut a little chunk off my chin yeah which my wife would say you didn't cut enough chunk off your chin well that's nice (laughs) she actually would never say that if she's listening i am so sorry i said that welcome to the show here's the deal um i'm bored i'm a boring bore okay in what context all content. Okay. <laughs> Just in life in <laughs> Just general. boring. Here's how I know that. Uh, about an hour ago or more, actually two hours ago, I was I got up, was making my breakfast, which usually means I'm grabbing a packaged like granola bar. Okay. Or I eat these little wafer Bellevue. Yesterday wafers. you said it may have been or not oatmeal raisin cookies. Oh, yeah. It was for three days. All right. But they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> They're gone. And so f- pretty much every day I eat the same cookie. If it's not an oatmeal raisin, I eat a Belvita thing. I don't even know what they're called. They're right. little wafer things. <sighs> They're a cookie of sorts. I've done this for three weeks since and that's, this show started. Is this the boring part? Yeah. <laughs> boring. Boring point. And today I walked to our pantry in my boring way, grabbing a boring wafer to eat. And I saw we had new granola bars. Ooh. A new flavor. It's still a granola bar. And I was giddy. I was ecstatic. That's what excited me. A new brand of granola. That is how bored I am as a human being. A granola bar. I had some frosted mini wheats this morning. I feel kind of peppy. If that's... I love frosted mini wheats in a bag, and then you just eat them. Like yeah, I did that last night. Little too, frosted little nuggets of love. <laughs> I'm so boring that a granola bar, like I, I felt like a kid going to Disneyland. No way. Really? On a really? Friday? A wow. Peanut mapley bar. Weekends looking up. Wow. <laughs> we are rich. Anyway, and right then I thought, that's pathetic. It's not even like eggs. Right. <laughs> it's, eggs. Not, it's not a protein. It's not even, there's no bacon. We'll have to, yeah, bacon makes things exciting. It would. A if bacon I could go in my pantry, bar. oh, like a maple, because this is like a little maple-y thing. Mmm, with bacon on it. I could get around that. You know what I've been excited about the last couple of days? What? There's a new Avengers trailer out. Oh, boy. Yeah. See, we're pathetic. <laughs> so we got this movie coming out. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they gave us new portions of this movie to watch. 
So you're just going to slowly piecemeal it out. I've, I've watched that trailer that came out, was it a day ago, two days ago, probably about 10, 15 times, which is probably on the low side of the people who are excited for this movie. Another movie <sighs> yeah. could have had a problem. Harrison Ford crashed an Holy airplane yesterday. Holy cow, what a stud. Some uh, people are saying he's a hero because he he's a hero. was able to put that yeah. into a golf course, yeah. the airplane. He had some problems, landed in a golf course instead of on the neighborhood surrounding mm-hmm. the golf course. So lives, you know, save that kind of thing. My thought was, this is Han Solo. They just <laughs> shot a movie. Are they done shooting? Is Star Wars yeah, safe? And it was like a 50 or 60-year-old airplane. He was injured while they were shooting Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, and I wasn't yeah. sure if they've wrapped up shooting no, I or... This was, I think this was different. I looked it up. Shooting for Star Wars wrapped up in November. Okay. So we're safe. Now, he might have to go do reshoots, but they might be able to you know, put a yeah. cloak on him or something. Cloak on his arm. Have him sit down in the... William Falcon. But so. how cool is that? I mean, he's really the stud that he port- that he tries yeah. to be, he plays in the movies. He's flying. It was a World War II training aircraft. Yeah. And it had some sort of problem, and he just kind of put it into a golf course. He hit a tree. Yeah. And he, land- he landed still. Still landed it. It didn't look like it flipped or anything. It just sort of landed and slid, so he put it in When expertly. I read that, because it's just a stud being a stud, and it reminded me of myself. In what way? <laughs> Um, you what? just said you were boring because you were excited well, about a granola ago, bar. Back oh, okay. when I was young. Back when there was some excitement. Uh, one time I was driving my car on a snowy road through a roundabout. Yeah. <laughs> and um, This isn't starting out well. Well, it got away from me. Okay. You spun out? I, I kind of spun out. Did you I, steer into the spin? Or? Well, you know, the funny thing about a roundabout is there's not a lot of place to go once you're sliding. Yeah, you're kind of in a, a, a shoot there. Because it's weird. Cars don't like slide in a circular slide. Usually. If you do it well, you can. It's called drifting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. But so. you didn't drift the family no, car. No, I didn't. I just, but I, <laughs> I landed it and I took it right up onto the curb. All right. But, you know, I felt. Speaking of sliding around Could've in the snow, somebody. LaGuardia yesterday. That Did you see that airplane? Crazy to, oh my the air, the, All the animation that they, they show on the news. The airplane is landing. It gets about halfway down mm-hmm. the runway, starts slipping and sliding, goes over a berm, knocks out a fence, almost lands in the river. In the Flushing River. Is that what it's called? Not sure. I think so. But uh, Flushing Meadows. And then all the video of people sliding down the, the wings to get out. There were some injuries, but... That's you know, everything's deal. okay, but you see this airplane just sort of hanging off the edge there. Oh. Kind of scary to watch. Yeah, that was, that's seriously, yesterday was not a good day for airplanes. No. Well, it, two of them. Yeah. But today's not a good day either. It's Malaysian Air. Oh, is that the anniversary? Today's the one-year anniversary of the missing Malaysian Air. I mean, if you went looking for something for one year and covered thousands and tens of thousands of miles... And they still can't find that airplane? It's a big deal. They're going to go till May, I guess, looking for the airplane. So all the families are gathering this weekend in um, Kuala Lumpur, I guess. Mm-hmm. For a memorial of sorts. Mm-hmm. That's just sad. You got to have some memorial. You got to, I mean, you got to have something. You got to have an answer for these families, right? Yeah. That's what they're looking for. No one has an answer, though. I mean, I've got my ideas. Well, yeah, you were sharing those before. And they were similar to the sort of conspiratory sort of ideas that came up when the yeah. plane originally crashed. So you're not breaking new ground here. No. Well, I, I, am, I disagree with James. It wasn't a UFO. I know that. Well, I don't know. 
It's not a UFO, James. Well, you can't prove that it wasn't. A good point. So that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's that a really good probably point. Probably a UFO piloted by Darth Vader himself. That's true. Han Solo did crash. Yep. So yeah, yesterday a uh, couple plane stories, but at the same time, what we've learned, Star Wars is safe, uh. and LaGuardia has short runways that are difficult for uh, pilots to land on in a good day. Yeah. Is the reports I read. So That's good. That's good. Keep That's... that in mind as you fly. Hey, I got, I got one more thing. I just got to get out of here. What's that? Um, what color is my shirt? Red. Red. Or is it gold? Nope. Oh. I'm doing... Okay. <laughs> so because it's Friday, I think my eyes are more tired than they normally are. So does this, is this shirt really red? I, you see red? Are, we, are you talking the general color or are we at the, the paint store no, and we my are, wife's talking about the, the 50 different hues? We're the blue and black dress that some people see as white and gold. What color is my shirt? Red. Cherry or cherry or maroon or cherry? I don't know. Okay. What, what you... fire engine? Because I see black. No, it's not black. Well, it's, I saw black this morning. Turn your lights on at your house. I know <laughs> they have to just deal with the fact that you okay, work early do this. in the morning. Shut your squint. Just squint, James. What do you see when you squint? And look at my shirt. Red. Still red. Still red. Just like a darker red. Like because my eyelids are in the way. Can you somehow dress in a separate room of the house where you can turn on the lights? Holy cow! That's what I do. Okay, James, shut your eyes and tell me what color it is. Um, I'm seeing black, but everything's black. I know. (laughs) That's how it looked. You need to make the proper adjustments Ah. to your schedule to accommodate your working situation. I know. I don't know how you do that, but that's a you thing. It's a total me thing. Because you've had the, sh- the the toothbrush in one hand, uh-huh. the razor in the other, ah, don't almost bring it up. mortally wounding yourself. Totally, almost. I As almost a talk show host, with a razor, your mouth and is your is your work. It's my. I call it my money maker. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's my money maker. I don't need a phone call where you're like, I just caught my tongue. <laughs> oh, what I need to do, like my mom used to do, is just put my clothes out on my bed at night. So I know what I'm wearing. I actually do that. I set them in the other room. Do you really? I have them all set. I've been doing it for a long time. You turn on all the lights, you wake everybody up. But yeah. I have a separate room. I know. I used to keep all my clothes in a separate closet in a different part of the house. That's a great idea. My wife keeps telling me, why don't you just move into another just room? Just get out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what she means, but she's being rude. Um, it's red? You're sure? Yes, I'm but, absolutely positive. But when you close your eyes, it's black. Yes. I thought I was wearing a black shirt today. Wow. You're also wearing black pants. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when you close your eyes, everything's black. Mm-hmm. Funny how that works. I'm not that kind of doctor, but I could explain it if you needed me to. We're going to take a break. And we're when we come back, we're getting into a huge issue. Do you know anybody, anybody that has student debt? Do you have student debt? 40 million Americans have student debt. 40 million Americans. An average of about $28,000 per person. Up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Dude, it's an an epidemic, dude. I heard a video that said, dude, it's an epidemic. It's horrible. We're going to deal with it. Talk about it. Inform you about student loans so you, your kids, your families don't get sucked into the abyss. Paul Conrad will be joining us. He's been 20 years working in the student loan business here at Brigham Young University, basically coaching, counseling, helping students make sure they're making the right decisions. We're getting into it. 
when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. What would you think if I told you that student loan debt has climbed to an all-time record of $1.2 trillion? That is an 84% increase since the recession. 40 million Americans now have at least one outstanding student loan, which is up from 29 million consumers in 2008. Folks, it really is. It's impacting us because as our loans go up, right, We it makes it harder and harder for these students to actually go buy a home, create assets, get out of this debt loop. And uh, a lot of people are now pretty much set for 20 years minimum of paying off some of these loans. So we wanted to to give you some insight into it by talking to uh, a, a wonderful resource we have here at Brigham Young University. Um, his name is Paul Conrad. He serves as the manager of the Student Center for Financial Management and Planning. He has a bachelor's degree in financial services, a master's degree in public administration. He's been affiliated with the financial aid office on campus for over 20 years and previously had served as the financial aid director. He also teaches family finance courses here at BYU in the Salt Lake Center. But we wanted to get him here and have him teach us what he's teaching these kids to make sure that they're, they're I guess, if you need a loan, we'll, let's help you. Let's make sure you're doing this in the right way. Paul Conrad, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Good to be here. So great to have you because, I mean, I myself am carrying student loan debt. And here's, <laughs> here's the crazy thing. Um, I now work at a university that would basically educate me for free. But I, I chose to do that after I had already gotten my education. And I then I, I thought, well, that'll be great because my kids will be able to um, – go to BYU. That will be great. And then realize that, well, they've actually got to get good enough grades to get into BYU. That's another problem. Um, but student loan debt, everyone's got it. I mean, 40 million people. Every family probably has it. What, what's going on, Paul? Why is, it, why is it out of control? What's happening? Is it just that we're, kids are so much more educated now? Is that really what this is about? Or it's a lot of money, $1.2 trillion. It's a lot of money. Uh, I'm not sure in every case everyone's out of control. I, when we talk about these really high numbers, we almost start to envision students that are weighted down with uh, $1.2 trillion each. Right. And um, so it can be a problem. Uh, our concern is that students borrow appropriately, help them understand when it is strategically appropriate to borrow money, when it can be strategically beneficial to borrow money and also help them to see when it may be inadvisable to borrow money. I mean, I guess that's the key, huh? Because some people could be borrowing a lot of money and they they won't be able to recoup the investment and some could easily recoup it. So that's one of the key things you're trying to teach these kids, right? Is when's the what's the proper amount? What's the what's the what's the payoff? I think it's the the payoff and it's also trying to give them some context. When I was a student, I I didn't know what a mortgage was going to cost. I didn't know what it was, what utilities were going right. to cost. I didn't uh, understand how much uh, pressure 
and uh, how much a family would cost to to raise and sustain. When we talk to students about debt, one of our borrowing principles that we share with them is to make sure that they're making an informed decision. And one guideline that seems to be somewhat common in our industry is that the monthly payment on your student loan not exceed about 8% of your future anticipated income. Mm. And, and that helps to create some context for a student to understand when they're in a manageable range and when those payments may be so, quite burdensome. So the overall payment should not exceed 8% of what they're expecting to earn Their annually. anticipated starting salary. Uh-huh. We we think that range is manageable, not fun, but manageable. Yeah. And then I guess it's interesting, too, because this is kind of a rolling scale, isn't it? So, I mean, I, my first year, I go borrow, let's say, $10,000, but I'm hoping to be, whatever, a teacher that maybe makes forty. But the next year, I'm going to borrow another ten, hoping to be a teacher that makes forty. I guess, does it eventually – after four years of going to school, does it catch up with me? And then all of a sudden I might be in more debt. I mean, I guess that's payable. I don't know what a payment would be, but it seems like then you need a master's degree. And if you want to go to a better school, it's going to cost you more than 10. And if you want to live on campus and have an experience, and then it seems like this is probably where it starts adding up. huh? And you've just got to get them thinking clearly about it. Yeah. When we're at college, so often we're we're just dealing with the immediate pressures. We have tuition due. We have rent due. Uh, getting a student to look at the big picture and to put together a financial plan so that they understand what amount of debt they will have when they graduate. Borrowing 10000 every year uh, without understanding the big picture could be really problematic. Oh, yeah. And it, I guess it sneaks up on you if you're not, like you're saying, if they're not informed. Really, a lot of this is you might have 20-year-olds or 18-year-olds making these decisions when they really haven't run financial anything. They hadn't run their own finances. And again, they just don't have that uh, broader context that we try to offer them. So you take out uh, a student loan and you feel no pain. Mm-hmm. And you take on another student loan and you feel no pain. These payments are deferred. In some cases, the loan is subsidized, so interest isn't accruing. And uh, we read uh, situations, uh, we we hear stories about students that are graduating and suddenly are completely caught off guard by how much their monthly payment is going to be and how hard this is going to be to pay back. And so having them make an informed decision where they see what that monthly payment is going to be in context – in the context of their starting salary, uh, they at least have to confront that. Uh-huh. How do you do that? So you, do you sit down with these, with these new students and, I guess, train them, teach them, take them through exercises? How do, you, how do you instill that into their minds? We're looking at a couple of things. When, when I meet with a student and I ask them to uh, identify what, what their objective is, sometimes – I, students are borrowing money and they haven't even declared a major and they mm-hmm. don't know what they're borrowing for. They don't know what their goal is. And that's difficult to narrow down all your options and decide what you want to do in your life. When they do decide what their major is going to be, what their career objective is, that planning can be a lot more specific. Now I can look at recently graduated students and I can find out what their average starting salary is. That's a good starting point for me. Hmm. And once I know, once I have a reasonable 
assumption for what my starting salary is going to be, I can uh, calculate that 8% monthly payment. We can help them with the math to establish a borrowing threshold. You really, if you're going to be in this profession, nursing or engineering or education, really can't afford to borrow much more than this while you're here for the entire time you're at school. So now we have to restructure what your living expenses are. We have to fit all of these expenses into uh, that maximum borrowing threshold. Wow! I mean, it really—that—that's those would be fantastic numbers to know. So, if you're going to be, if you're pre-law or pre-med, or if you're uh, an engineer or a, a, an educator, this is these are your limits. But that's a great idea or a great point. Borrowing without a degree, or I mean, without even a concept of what de- your degree is going to be. I had a guy on the show a couple, uh, like about a week ago, that talked about. Um, how he tries to teach his kids to be more responsible with their money. And he makes – he, he's going to make his kids pay for their first year of school. They're going to earn the money. The money's going to pay for their first year of school. And after their first year, he'll start subsidizing it. But he wants them to go into the first year of school on their dime and and literally see it just taken out of their bank account minute by minute. Everything's going to go out of their account simply so that – they're taking it seriously, not just running on free money. <clears throat> probably, uh, probably a great approach. And you know, I think there are a number of ways students can uh, have a little more control than they feel like they can. When we get into this discussion about student loans, it almost feels like it's beyond my control. Mm-hmm. It's it's just something that is going to happen, and I have to get a degree no matter what. I'm going to have to be into a lot of debt. I have no control over that. But I'm meeting with students that come in that think they need to borrow money. Sometimes we start looking at their spending patterns. Uh, Sometimes they're spending a lot of money eating out. Sometimes they're spending a lot of money on transportation. Uh, And we start talking about the different options they have. If you, if you first of all choose to go to a school that is reasonably priced, uh, unless a, a high priced school is going to give you a distinct advantage, you could look for a school that's reasonably priced. We're grateful for the cost structure here at BYU. And then you do all you can in terms of personal savings, family support, scholarships, Pell Grants. Then you start looking at part-time work. And some students feel that working part-time is a penalty. I, I have to work part-time while I'm going to school. Yeah. But you know, trading your money for time, also trading your time for uh, your, your – well, trading your time for money, which is the basic contract, uh, to, you know, part-time job. But trading your time for uh, skills and contacts, and I think even most importantly, self-awareness. Yeah. If I'm if I'm going into nursing, I should try to find part-time work in some related field so I can find out: Do I enjoy doing this every yeah. day, and am I any good at it? So students could consider part-time work, and then some of these lifestyle adjustments. Uh, I've had times when students are struggling to pay for school expenses, and they have a an expensive car payment. Yeah. Uh, transportation is one of those areas that is extremely expensive. It's not just the car payment. It's the insurance and the repair and the fuel and the maintenance and emissions and all of that. And uh, we have rental cars on campus. Uh, when I was a student here, we didn't have rental cars. Now you can, you can, even at age 18, you can rent a car on campus. So if you can walk 90% of the time and then there's that day when suddenly you've yeah. got to go in five different directions, um, eight or nine bucks an hour, um, 
uh, certainly much less expensive than having a car payment. See, it really is. And then then those are like life choices. You're teaching them about adjusting a lifestyle. And really, those are ways, too, to grow self-esteem, self-worth. I mean, I know when, when we first found James on the front step of this of this institution, he was a wreck. He was just a young little buck. And because you've been working here, James, has that not changed your life in a dramatically positive way? Definitely. Well, also, <laughs> just that I've had somewhere to sleep at night. That's true. Under the desk. No one's supposed to know about that, James. Sorry. Hypothetically. Hypothetically, that's what happens. He could sleep. Every if, night. Uh, there was a major event. Um, but I think you're right on, Paul. Let's let's come back. I want to have you teach us more of the tools that you use to help make sure that the kids are making the right choice. I mean, I know sometimes you need to probably slow them down, <laughs> like and maybe push them a little bit, like let's not, in, let's not borrow anymore. And maybe other times it might be smarter that they just borrow a little bit more and get this thing done and get out and start earning. We'll come back with Paul Conrad, who uh, works here at Brigham Young University. He's the manager of the Student Center for Financial Management and Planning at BYU, helping us sort through the uh, student debt issue and uh, the rising costs of going to school. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about the, the rising cost of student debt. $1.2 trillion is out there in student debt. That's an 84% increase since the recession. That recession probably took a ton of people out of the workforce, right? And a lot of them may have gone back to school. And it seems like a lot of people just kind of bedded down into the university's life to kind of weather the recession. But in doing so, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to come out, you know, you might, you'll come out with some student debt, but you, you may not necessarily come out with a great job opportunity or even a great job prospect if you don't go through the process of borrowing and getting educated in an informed way. 40 million Americans now have at least one outstanding student loan. And one of the downsides, too, is economically, it makes it so we're not, we're not, we're not building assets. We're we're becoming we're we're paying off debt. If if eight to ten percent of our income is going to paying off this debt, and even if your load is only twenty eight thousand dollars of the debt, then it's going to just slow down probably or potentially your ability to maybe grow assets, get a house. But other thing is, is it's it's going to possibly impact the minority. Uh, the, the minorities more, those that, that might have less affluence or those that really need an opportunity. And there is grant money. And we'll get into that. Um, that can help as well. But honestly, if people are indebted, that money can't necessarily be dedicated to growing economies and strengthening, you know, strengthening other markets out there. So let's go to Paul Conrad. He is uh, a great resource here at Brigham Young University, manager of the Student Center for Financial Management and Planning at BYU. He has a master's degree in public administration. He's been affiliated with Financial Aid Office for over 20 years and served previously as the Financial Aid Director. Paul, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Um, talk about maybe some of the default. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming that if somebody 
I, I have a relative that is a doctor, and he was so worried about carrying fifty, sixty thousand dollars of student loan debt for a degree from Harvard, basically. And I'm like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You're going to leave making a lot of money. Just get done. Don't worry about it. And then I think of, you know, some other person that has to pay back 15000 and it's really going to destroy their income because their job may not be as productive. Hey, we're, we're reading some recent uh, studies and information from uh, uh, New York Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, indicating that uh, the highest default rates are for borrowers who owe less than $5,000. Surprising. Oh, really? And uh, the next likely group to default on loans, default means that you're at least 270 days late on a payment, nine yeah. months, uh, that uh, these groups uh, experience the highest rates of default. And that seems kind of confusing. We imagine these students that have extremely high loans are the right. ones that are going to default. But they uh, hopefully – in many cases have professional degrees and good job prospects. One area that's a real concern is students who come to school and borrow money and don't graduate. Mm. That seems to be one of the primary indicators of this potential for default. And so we look at students that come and fail their first semester. We look at uh, transfer students that come in with a high amount of debt already, uh, even some non-traditional students that come to school and um, face different challenges. So those uh, those uh, results seem kind of uh, counterintuitive. That, that's interesting because, I mean, $5,000 is probably somebody that maybe came without a plan or wasn't prepared or a lot of times when they get here, they're out of their normal routines that got them through high school and now they start to realize, hey, I've got ADD. <laughs> hey, I'm, I've got anxiety. I've got other issues. And and then all of a sudden you're five or $10,000 in debt and you don't have the degree. Hmm. That's yeah. – so, so you watch out for those. That's one of the those, – those are the groups you as, and the university are specifically trying to make sure you maybe shepherd along. Yeah, and, and uh, on our website we, we've listed some borrowing principles. Uh, one of those uh, guiding principles, we, as we talk to students about when it's strategically appropriate, when it's strategically beneficial to borrow money um, – what are some of the questions you can ask yourself yeah. as you consider this? One one question is simply, have you set yourself up to succeed? If you're coming to school and you start to have serious medical problems or sometimes mental or emotional uh, challenges or you're dealing with a really difficult family situation back home, this is a really expensive place to borrow money and fail a lot of your classes or withdraw from school and um, essentially borrow money without – really moving down the field yeah. at all towards graduation. Because you can borrow money. You can get a student loan and put it all on hold, right? I mean, you can. You, you don't have to just spend it because you borrowed it. You can't, can you not hold it? If, like if you have a medical emergency, you could claim an, a medical contingency, can't you? If you, if you receive student loan money um, – a very clear rule here, of course, is that you have to use it for school-related expenses. Um, in situations where a student has to discontinue, sometimes some of that money has to be refunded back. Uh, well, that's I if I guess they've already given you the money, huh? If it's already come down and – Yeah. I, I think this is describing more of a situation where 
uh, you try to avoid borrowing the money in the first place yeah. if you're not really in a position to do well academically. Uh, sometimes these problems come up in the middle of the, of the semester, and that's the best you can do. Yeah. But, uh, and I wanted to just circle back to one point you made on um, – you know, we talk about people who – uh, borrow a lot of money and then they can't buy a first home and they can't uh, kind of get started. The economy yeah. is suffering. One of the other impacts I see is uh, in retirement planning. Mm. So uh, when you when you graduate, uh, hopefully with a minimal amount of debt, you're in position to begin investing, saving immediately for retirement. If that gets delayed 10 years because I'm paying off a student loan and sometimes even 20 years, now I'm far behind where I need to be in terms of investing for retirement. Right. So the ripple effect could be into the economy. It can also be far out into a person's life. Uh, and, and you don't necessarily know it until you're, I guess, if you, if you haven't thought of the big picture. Exactly. And so I graduated from uh, the university. I, uh, retirement wasn't uh, prominent on my mind at the time. But I look back now and I think part of, part of the real importance of helping students through this period of time is that we set them up uh, to succeed beyond their enrollment here at the university. We, they're in a position to now begin that careful effort to save money for retirement. Mm -hmm. And being delayed 10, 15, 20 years would have a significant impact on your financial well-being going forward. Talk about – because a lot of us have just a, an in um, – I guess just a, a, a paradigm that we have learned from our family. It's been instilled our entire life and it's basically you're going to get an education. It's going to happen. Everybody gets educated. You'll go nowhere without an education. So it seems like that's buried in a lot of our heads. And yet we may not have the financial resources, but we know we have to do it because that's what makes people successful. And all the data shows you got to have a degree. You got to have a degree. But it almost seems like we kind of reached this wave where it all, it all kind of turned upside down for a while. And it might even hit another wave that turns it back and right sides it. But I have people even in our program here that are graduating with degrees and they're, you know, five years ago there weren't jobs for them, but they were loaded with the 20000 or whatever, 5000 of debt. Is it – are we to a point where we, could, we should actually question if we should get a four-year college degree and maybe, maybe another type of, uh, you know, a, de- a degree, a technical degree or a two-year degree – or just experience might be more valuable? Uh, two thoughts on that. One is that um, certainly the student uh, – I, I talk to a lot of students that are, are just having a hard time deciding what they want to major in, what mm-hmm. they want to do. And um, I was uh, influenced by a book called Novations by Gene Dalton and Paul Thompson where um, – uh, they talked about careers. They they said, you know, we, we all have a lot of experience. Uh, you, you've gone through high school. You've maybe served a mission. You've been on sports teams. Um, when you look back at those experiences, what can you learn about yourself in terms of what you enjoy doing and what you do well? Yeah. And I stumbled around in college not knowing what I wanted to do for quite a while, and that one exercise was more helpful than anything. I, I started to see patterns uh, – you know, I on my mission, I didn't like tracting. I liked teaching, but yeah. I, I didn't like knocking didn't on like doors. Door it was so door. intrusive. Mm-hmm. I, I liked going on dates. I didn't like asking girls on dates. It was so intrusive. <laughs> Interesting. So, you know, and so what that taught me was, hey, don't go into sales. Yeah. You're not good at You're that. You're not a sales guy. Yeah, maybe you can teach or maybe you can, yeah. you know. So 
that's, you know, should I go to college, not go to college? I think getting to the root of that is, well, what do, what do I enjoy doing and what am mm. I good at? Now, if if going to college is going to help me get into a field where I do well, I, yeah. I enjoy doing something and I do it well, then great. But if it's a different path, then then it might make sense to, to or, look at or that. Or if you're going to pay a really high premium to go find out what you do well, maybe yeah. it would be better to sit out a little while and because you can still go to the student services centers at universities and they'll still help fig- help you figure out what your career can yeah. be. So, uh, you know, a lot of times we – and this might be why we have this council to write in journals just so we yeah. can kind of mine the data and understand some of our experiences. The other thing I wanted to say with regard to your question was uh, students today more than ever – are much more there's they're in a position where they have to take more responsibility for their own financial well-being. Yeah. Uh the government's answer to a lot of colleges hey we have loans. No yeah. problem. In fact, uh these loan payments are very flexible. If you're having a hard time paying back your loan, we have numerous flexible repayment options which are certainly helpful when someone can't find a job. Uh some of these Flexible repayment options could set you up for monthly payments for 20 years, paying yeah. a lot of additional interest. So students today regarding paying for college or preparing for retirement, uh, a lot of financial issues have to be much more responsible for their own well-being. They need to see the big picture and make critical decisions along the way so that um, they are – protecting themselves against that potential for financial hardship. Do you um, – because this is part of the key too. They – a lot of these kids aren't even getting married. They're delaying that. A lot of them now are returning home at higher levels. They're calling them the boomerang generation that are boomerang that are going back home because they have to financially. Um, my daughter, for example, though, the minute she got married, a plethora of options opened up for her and because they were kind of off of the dole now from the parents and – there were more grants. There were more, you know, Pell grants, other things like that. I guess that's the thing about this is having a plan, and not necessarily you don't have to alter dramatically everything in your life, but you have to think and prioritize. And if marriage is important to you, you can still do it, and it can be beneficial. And you got to know what you want to be. Having that goal, and then working out a careful plan to achieve that goal, and. And looking to see what kind of, uh, you know, what role will borrowing play in that? Uh, uh, you know, we have students that are so debt averse that they would say, look, I'm not going to borrow any money at all. I'm going to work 35 or 40 hours a week. Sometimes their grades begin to suffer. Yeah. We, you know, there may be times when it would be strategically appropriate to borrow some money. But uh, most of the time when a student comes in with a really clear goal, we can start working on this. There are so many options uh, for them to consider in terms of their lifestyle, in terms of scholarships, or in terms of um, even how they structure going to school, husband and wife, that um, I don't f- come away with the sense that this is impossible. I just think that if you're not paying attention, if you don't have a clear goal and a clear plan, it's much more likely that the, sol- the default you're going to fall into is a lot of student loans and then be surprised when you graduate and suddenly find out, mm-hmm. oh, this is what my starting salary is and this is what my monthly payment is and that's going to be challenging. And then so many times once you do that and you get into an organization, you start to realize that another degree, a master's degree, would also help you a lot. 
And then you might fall back into the same trick of, oh, okay, I'll just, okay. But maybe my company will pay for some of it. But in the end, I mean, it is, it's kind of the dance. But like you're saying, if you get ahead of the dance and start knowing, I like the idea, like you said, knowing what you're really good at, and then you use school to maximize you. So maybe you don't decide everybody gets a four-year degree because that's just what we do. Maybe you decide what are your gifts? What, what are you needing to bring to the world? And what's the, what, so what kind of degree do you need? And then how do we get it paid for? Yeah. And, you know, as, as students work on these, uh, make this effort to be reasonably frugal and to kind of put this together, this is good training for this is real life. life. Huh? Yeah. I, I'm out of college now raising my family. We're working to be reasonably frugal, to adjust our expenses, to to pay for all of the things you pay for as a family. So this period of time at college is a great time to work on things like developing a budget that's going to work for you outside of college and working on your credit rating so that you can minimize the borrowing expenses you might have later in life. And uh, developing um, other types of spending skills uh, so that uh, you'll carry that with you into your future, mm-hmm. your good habits and your bad habits into your, your working life. I had a, uh, a client see me yesterday, a young kid, probably 20, and he said, I'm taking the greatest class in the world. It's the, I've never learned more ever in my life than in this one class, and it's a financial management class. And he's like, everybody needs to know this. And I, I'm thinking, yeah. I mean, like that is – that should be the automatic prerequisite for everybody in in the university. Everybody. I'd even make see if I were if I were a university president, Paul, everybody would take your class. Everybody. Even your wife. <laughs> she wouldn't need it. Well, Paul, we appreciate you. This is great insight and uh, keep up the great work. What's the website that you guys have? Our website is uh, financialplan.byu.edu. Financialplan.byu.edu and lots of resources there. They they have great uh, just have great handouts and forums you can look at. One of the things remember that uh, it, you know is a really strong principle is just preparedness uh, and frugality and being a healthy citizen and steward of your talents. And, Paul, I think you're helping people do that. Thanks again for joining us. Appreciate it. We're going to take a break, uh, come back, wrap up this first hour of the show, you know, try to find out a little bit more about how our wonderful little James is progressing. He's now getting ready to get married, and that's going to compound all the problems, right? Now we're going to combine all this debt. We'll see how that's going with James. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back here, right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I mean, really, student debt, it's a huge deal. And I, I, I've seen a bunch of just a bunch of our producers go through that. And I, I, it's getting better, I think, because the job market's improving. But you still might carry 10 grand, 15 grand. And, and BYU is a great university. It's, it's for the money. Did you see there was an article about uh, BYU for the money is like the number one best school to go to? Your return on investment, which basically is the degree you get with the debt you carry and your ability to go make a great – get a great job. It's ahead of Harvard. It's ahead of a lot of 
great programs. But it's because the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints subsidizes the university to some degree, and that makes it more affordable for everybody. So you can go to Harvard, sure, and you could go make guaranteed 166000 out of Harvard with your Harvard degree, but you might have a $100,000 payment, loan payment, out of a business degree or an MBA. Hmm. But BYU might cost you thirty for the degree, but you can make a hundred grand, hundred and twenty grand. Anyway, folks, we got to be smarter about this. And parents, come on, do not just assume you're going to send your kid to the university and sign them up, and they're going to just start accruing their own debt, and then that without you know some guidance and attention. It's a big deal. It's especially a big deal because I look at my my young, nubile little James who is about to get married to Mapster. Are you guys carrying any debt? Not to be personal. Student debt. Full disclosure. Yeah. No. Oh, really? Yeah. Neither of you. Neither of us. Which is great because we both have the goal to graduate debt-free. That is fantastic. Yeah. Do you guys want some debt? Because I know where you can get some. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Cheap. <laughs> Comes cheap to I'll transfer get, it over. I'll transfer my debt to you. That is fantastic. So, uh, in fact, and I've heard you guys talk about that. That is, And you always say that's what you love about Mapster. Yeah. Or whatever her name is because you won't tell me. <laughs> But you love that she's so frugal and careful and she's taking charge and making sure she's not in debt. And she's probably going to make sure you never get in debt. Yeah. Well, that is one of her many, many redeeming qualities is she is – she's very, very good with money. And it comes in large part because of her parents. That they, so great. They uh, gave her a lot of financial responsibility growing up. And so she's really, really valued – uh, saving and, and planning for the future and budgeting. That's great. It's great. Oh, <sighs> tell me about it. See, my first fight with my wife was over money. My first real fight. Mm-hmm. It was at Wendy's, <laughs> the restaurant. And she, we were, I thought we were loaded because she was a school teacher, right? And so she made, I don't know, she was, ro- we were rolling in the money. She was, she made 30 grand. Wow. I know. And plus I was bringing home easily a three, $400 a month. So you guys were really loaded. Loaded, and we went to Wendy's and we ordered, and uh, she ordered, and I ordered, and then she her I, I ordered. By the way, this was back in the day before they had um, combo meals, and back then, yet people can't even fathom this. But you had to think out your own combo meal, you know. So I was like, oh, what would go with a hamburger? <laughs> and um, I just I just fries. So I got I got my my meal and I said and I ordered a drink and she looked at me and she said, "Oh, I didn't get a drink." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, I did. So if you want some, I'll give you some." And she's like, "Well, I got water." Now, this is this is my wife's code talk. What was she saying, James? She's saying you shouldn't have gotten the drink. We don't Loser. have money for that. We don't have money for a drink. And I said, well, I know you got water. That'll be good for you. I want a beverage. And she's like, well, you could get water. And I'm like, I could. I could do a lot of things and I'm just going to get just going to get my drink. And then she looked at me like, do you think we're just loaded? And then I biggest mistake of my life. I said, look, 
Get out the crowbar and let's open that wallet up. Oh. <laughs> first fight. By the way, pretty much the last fight. That's when I started. I had to hide my drinking of Diet Coca-Cola beverage. That's where it began. That's where it began. Okay. I became a closet drinker. Yep. Until she like sniff it out. <laughs> Is that carbonation? Nope. <laughs> little hiccup. Anyway, got to be careful, folks. Money can divide a lot of things, even your most important relationships. We're going to take a break. Hour number one in the books. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your coach, your life coach, your guide on the side, helping you create the life you want, giving you the tools, the ideas, the skills you need to make it through this crazy thing we call life. Welcome back to the program. Last hour, we talked about student debt. I have to, I I told a story, and James. He just, he was worried because I told the story about my first argument with my wife was over money at Wendy's. And that, James, because we talked about that with Paul Conrad, that is before you start school, you need to know what you need to be. And I knew after telling my wife in an argument over about 85 cents so I could get a drink at Wendy's, the restaurant chain, I said, get out your crowbar. And open up your wallet. And James couldn't believe that. Is that true, James? Are you like? Did that shock you? Yeah, I I don't know how you could have possibly thought that that was good. You know, I feel like that would have been one of those situations that right when you <laughs> see feel the words coming out of your yeah. mouth, you want to kind of grab them and bring put them back. back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, I didn't notice that <laughs> till about a minute later. <laughs> then I'm like. What is the deal with her? Wait a second. She's really angry. <laughs> and um, that's right then when I learned I need to get a doctorate in relationships. That was a huge moment in your life. Mm-hmm. So if I hadn't stepped in it and told my wife to get a crowbar out and wedge it into her wallet and force out a quarter, I wouldn't be here today. So to my wife, who's probably listening, probably not, actually. Thank you. Sure, it was a fight, but we don't say tightwad anymore, by the way. That was another thing I threw out there. We don't use that term. She's careful. She's conservative. She's frugal. Those are nice ways of saying It's a lot better. Yeah. But cheap. I don't say cheap. (laughs) (laughs) See, my sensitivities are way up. Don't say cheap. Them is fighting words. Anyway, you got to know. So we talked about student debt mm-hmm. before, and that leads to jobs. Yes. And the you need de- one. all the decisions people make after graduation, and they not necessarily thinking career, maybe thinking more about paying off debt or mm-hmm. not even thinking about paying off debt. But in the realm of jobs, the U.S. economy, economic figures out on yes. jobs. What's the deal? Are we there added, jobs? In the month of February, 295,000 jobs added. 
295,000 jobs. Is that, That's good. I mean, jobs, that's good. It's a Bureau of Labor statistics. A lot of people wonder about these numbers, though, because they're not they, – they hear the job numbers, but they may not be the jobs you it, actually want. It, it beat expectations. Okay. So the predictions, it, they were expecting 240,000. They got 295, so hmm. – it went up. It's up from January's 257,000. So it's another 40,000 or so jobs. Do, do they count the jobs that were lost? And do they make that as part of well, this count? It's all positive. Is this a net gain? It's all positive numbers on these numbers. They're not, it's not net gain. It's how many are added to the economy. Yeah. We the, lost 40, 450,000. <laughs> the unemployment rate also ticked down to 5.5% from 5.7. See, something's working. It's the best three months of consecutive employment growth since 1997. Okay, this is working. But you always have to keep in mind these numbers don't reflect those that have stopped looking for work. Yeah, there's a lot of people that were so disheartened they just gave up. And they're not counting them. No. They're only counting the newly unemployed. Yeah. Not so. the depressed, exhausted, unemployed. So it's a number, but you have to look into the number to see what it's actually representing. So there's some positivity. It's showing that there is growth mm-hmm. in the economy. That's cool. But how does that reflect on the whole economy as itself? And again, if you're listening to any other station, you'd probably get into a major debate, either blaming Barack or blaming the GOP. Yeah. I follow both on Twitter. Yeah. I follow Speaker John Boehner. Yeah. Who always comes out negative yeah. against the numbers. By the and way. And the White House is always positive. Yeah. And it's like, which one's true? Well, let's just be real. Both of those people, uh, both of those people are employed. Yes. They both have jobs. <laughs> and they even have people who have jobs to spin the job numbers. And people are running their Twitter accounts. Mm-hmm. It's not them on Twitter. It's That's right. consistent. Speaking of Twitter. Yeah. See how this is all just working That's, together? I'm amazed at how you weave it A together. A study has found that there are at least 46,000 Twitter accounts that support the Islamic State. 46,000 yes. Twitter accounts. Wow. Now, this is despite Twitter since 2014 trying to shut down as many of these sites as they can find. Yeah, they're doing everything they can to shut them down, but there's they, a lot They've of shut them. down around 20,000, but there's still 46,000 out, and the mm. problem is they keep sprouting up. You can't. Because all you have to do is log on, put in a new name, it's and like you weeds. have a new account. It's ISIS weeds. Um, ISIS Twitter census, that's what they called the mm-hmm. study, found that three quarters of the users tweet in Arabic and an estimated one in five in English of these 46,000 accounts. Yeah. Most accounts track to uh, ISIS held territories in Iraq and Syria, and most of the accounts were created in the last year, so over the last 12 months. Interesting. But again, they could just go, I guess if they know there's 48,000, they could just go shut them all down. But that didn't I don't that know. didn't that didn't ISIS have a death threat for the Twitter? Bosses? Yes, they threatened the CEO and some of the other executives of Twitter with death for shutting down their Twitter sites. Man, and then and then of course they get on like, what about free speech? Yeah, <laughs> like they're concerned with that <laughs> at this moment. Let's talk about free speech. Man, it is it is interesting how uh, social media is being used. We're tracking down some people to yeah. try to expound upon this topic. That's a cool that's they are they're using all the benefits of social marketing and marketing techniques video if you take their techniques and put a major brand with it it is a multi-million dollar operation you know who needs the marketing people from Isis who's that radio shack L- little late well but it, i mean it would have been a great yeah. they might have uh, benefited from that also maybe some products other than cell phones that are sold at all the other 
<laughs> electronic based and online. You know, they, yeah. they needed a product, and the world kind of advanced beyond their uh, their inventory. Well, maybe a little fanatical religiosity. They should have moved headquarters to your number one provider of religious (laughs) extremism. Yeah, there's a marketing angle, I guess. Can't you imagine someday all of the Radio Shack trucks (laughs) running through Syria with guys in the back? That's where a lot of the used vehicles end up, apparently. I went into a Radio Shack and yesterday got a cable I needed and... It's empty. The, the, like they're they're even selling off all of the the racks, the racks, and the displays. And yeah, those are always fun stores to run. I through. got a fourteen dollar ninety nine cent cable, and I'm like, wow, that's still expensive. <laughs> Aren't you guys going out of business? Yeah. Why am I paying? And then premium? I got up six bucks. Oh wow! Now I'm not going to have an advertisement for Radio Shack. Yeah, but, but discounts about seventy percent off. Hey, we're here to help you make your life better, right? That's right. We're discounts here to change your life. Speaking of making your life better, yeah, probably just for me here, though. Depends on the audience. Mm-hmm. So we got this movie, The Avengers, coming out. You are- oh We talked about it last. Heavens. I mean, it's a big deal. To who? Me. Okay. There's a couple movie theaters. Yeah. Chains. They're offering a special 27-hour movie marathon uh. to watch all of the Marvel movies leading up to- Oh, boy. You just got- The new movie. James just perked yeah! up. Yeah. Could you watch 27 hours of movies no. in a theater? No. Neither could I. No. Did they I, do that for Lord of the Rings? Yes. For The Last Hobbit? Mm-hmm. Hey, oh, guys, that been guys, cool. guys. Extended version of each of those. Get Director alive. commentary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like 35 <laughs> hours. You're, you're, this, you're sick. Do what I do. Go home. Sit in a coma. And be boring, Eat as you, you said. And Eat, watch Netflix. Sounds Eat so your much granola better. wafers or whatever they are. Uh, yeah, don't make fun of them. In all, ten movies, mm-hmm. with the final movie being the premiere of the next video. Uh, wow, that would be great. Yeah. That would be fantastic. When you say great, like grading, like grating. <laughs> I think it would be difficult. I can't sit there that long. This, this is the equivalent well, you, of binge-watching some show. Yeah, but like, I just can't do that. But you're binge watching it in a theater with a bunch of like-minded individuals. Don't say it. People. You, you weren't going to say people. I was. You were going to say geeks or dorks or you could cut put down some label on them. That's wrong. <laughs> you could label. cut down That's on true. that That's time though. Lesson. If you like fast forwarded through the boring stuff, I mean, you can make it maybe well, where thirteen would, hours. Where, whenever, where? whenever they're not destroying a major city. Yeah, exactly. Anytime there's dialogue. <laughs> yeah, just Wait, fast they're forward. talking. Fast forward. <laughs> Are they talking? They're moving. Oh. <laughs> Shoot him, Batman. Um, anyway, is, is Batman one of the Marvel comic guys? Nope. No. Okay, so He's in his own movie oh, coming right. out soon, Batman v Superman. Oh, Another huge one to look out and for. And Aquaman's going to be in it. And yes. Wonder Woman's going to be in it. So for all of you with children. I have a list of movies if you'd like to see them. You know what? It later, goes through 2020. Later in the show, Rod Gustafson's going to join us from Parent Previews. We're going to talk about a real movie. Uh-oh. The second best exotic marigold hotel. There, there you go. Yeah. Is that an Avengers thing? Is that no. a part of Marvel Comics? No, but Judy Dench, mm-hmm. she used to be the uh, boss of James Bond, so there's yeah, wh- a thing there. Once again, information not needed. I'm just That's what she used to do. Her job Isn't that used funny to be how your boss. mind knows that? Your mind remembers stuff like that. <sighs> anyway, here's the deal. Office politics. 
Have you ever just laughed at someone's joke even though you don't think it's funny? Try being James. All day long has to laugh at my jokes because that's how that's what's politically correct. Karen Dillon is going to be joining us. She is the editor of the Harvard Business Review Guide to Office Politics. She's going to be teaching us the do's and don'ts about how to uh, gain leverage in your relationships at work. That's up next. Karen Dillon right here on the Matt Townsend Show from BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I love that music. Pump that up a bit, James. This is the music I think of when I walk around the office here. Funny thing, a lot of people when I'm uh, like when I'm out speaking, they'll they'll say, "You know, you remind me of someone," and I'm always like, uh, "What's his name? Steve Carell?" I'm like Steve Carell, and they always say, "No." Michael Scott. And I meant, you mean the actor that plays Michael Scott. I remind you of him. No, you actually remind me of Michael Scott. <sighs> Rude. Uh, one of the funny things about the show, The Office, is the fact that some of the players on the show, they don't get how to deal with people. <laughs> they just are off. Kind of like I was with my wife when we called her the tightwad. A lot of us don't know how to play the game, so we wanted to bring in an expert who could talk to us about office politics, describe what office politics means, what it's about. But really, I wanted some answers on a few things as well. For example, have you ever had a situation where you were uh, had a coworker who was furious with you? Do you know how to handle that? Do you know how to take, uh, you know, give feedback to somebody in a public way if it's going to be critical? Do you know how to handle your own emotions and anger when somebody makes a decision in the company that affects you and you don't like it? Karen Dillon is here to walk us through some answers to those questions. She's the editor of the Harvard Business Review Guide to Office Politics and co-author of the New York Times bestseller, How Will You Measure Your Life? She also – we found a a great article – that uh, she had put together on hbr.org, which is harvardbusinessreview.org. Again, Karen Dillon's her name. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you very much. Love uh, this topic because, I mean, okay, let's just describe. By your definition, how do you define office politics? Well, I know people hear that and they sort of snicker and think of a Jennifer Aniston movie or some really nasty co-worker things. And and that is, I think, a colloquial use. But what we really mean at Harvard Business Review and what I meant in writing the book was having a strategy for dealing with the wide range of human beings that we all have to work with in our careers. It's something that you have to think about, and many of us don't, that we have to work with people that are different from us, that we may not like, that do things differently than we do. And if you're going to succeed in your career, you have to have a strategy for the quote-unquote office politics or the people strategy. I mean, really, I, I love the word people strategy because, you know, oh, everything's political. And, but it's about people. All organizations are. And you, if you're effective with people and you can manage your emotions and if you can even influence their emotions more positively, you're going to have a better time, I think, and more success. 
Absolutely. I do believe that people who advance in careers and do well and become leaders are people who have figured out not how to avoid conflict or how to be so well-liked by everybody that, you know, they never have a conflict at all, um, but people who figure out how to navigate some of the difficult challenges that most of us have over the course of our career. You will succeed if you have a strategy for that, and you're naturally thinking about that as part of the whole list of things you need to get better at in your career. The people strategies, it's because, I mean, like you're saying, there's there's two that are fairly easy, kind of uh, just the avoiding and just, oh, oh, they're fighting. Turn away. Look away. Move away. Move away. And then there's those that there's those that kind of suck up, laugh at everything, do everything, just try to please everyone. Um, but you're saying neither of those necessarily are probably – you can't just go by one of those choices. You need to actually know how to read the scenario and give the feedback when it's necessary. It's more of a real skill set you need. It is a real skill set, and like any important skill set, it takes practice. You have to think about it. You get better as you do it more. Uh, you get better as you think of it as something you need to learn and master rather than something that you expect to be naturally good at. So, yeah, it's, you know, there's a huge percentage of people. If you look at surveys, they'll tell you that most people think that office politics at some point in their life have been so upsetting that they've thought about quitting their job. Mm-hmm. That's not a good strategy. If you have a job that you like or you're in a career that you like, that shouldn't be your choice. Your choice should be how do I build the muscle that it's not strong now for navigating these more difficult situations. Oh, that is so true. I mean, about 70% of people they say today are disengaged. They're probably just trying to, you know, get another 10 years under their belt so they can get their retirement and get on and move on. But in the end, um, the environment is still created by people. So I, I imagine if, if people didn't have these people skills that you're talking about, and then they get promoted to become the boss, they could create a fairly charged, un, unhealthy work environment as well. It's very possible. I mean, the reality is in most work environments, people are promoted because they master, they're very good at something that they do, a salesperson or yeah. a computer programmer or whatever the right specialty, specialty is, but they're seldom promoted because they've demonstrated all kinds of managerial prowess. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's something so that true. they have to learn, too. So, so realizing that the people who are in manager positions or being one of those managers, that they have to develop that, too, and they're not necessarily naturally going to be good at that. That promotion doesn't always signal that they're good at that. means you have to think about how to have better conversations. I love it. And um, and I've even seen it just with the people that I have on my team. You can see some that manage it better than others and some that just never deal with the issues, some that never bring it to you, some that talk about it outside. So when, we, when we're working on this, um, what, what are some general rules that you give or you suggest in your book about office politics? Well, I guess the first thing I would say is recognize that probably your view of the world is is biased. You you may assume that people have bad intentions or they're out to get you or they're never going to give you credit, that there's some sort of malicious intent behind that. I think if you take the first step of of saying, okay, that's probably not what's happening. It's not working for some other reason, but I'm not going to assume that's a bad person or that person is trying to make me mad or make me look bad. Then you take a step back. And you can start to assess the problem differently. I think it's very, it's very much human nature. You think about what happens over the water cooler or what people talk about when they go home. That's probably a good indication of whether or not they've personalized what's happened to them at work in a bad way. And that's not healthy. Oh, so, so the first true. thing to do is to not assume the worst of people. That doesn't mean they're not doing things that are annoying or difficult or that have to be dealt with, but it maybe doesn't come from a place of malice. I think that's a really important step to take because once you take that, you probably can take a breath and think a little more rationally about, okay, what is the problem here and how do I begin to think about it? That, that's one. 
So assess the situation, assuming no one's intentionally being bad. There's a great quote I love by Napoleon that says, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by incompetence. Really Isn't true. that great? It's one that of my favorite really quotes. True. It's so great. Very I memorize it. People are deliberately malicious. They are, there are too many people yeah. who are actually incompetent yeah. but or clueless. They're not they deliberately just, malicious. It's so true. <laughs> I mean, it really is. And what's cool about that is if you, if you just attribute that they just don't get it or they don't mean it or they don't understand it, that's different than that they're just evil, horrible, out to get you. And you can right. actually respond differently to them. So you don't get caught up into a circle of becoming ineffective because they are. Well, one of the worst things that can happen is if you sort of bring yourself into that, that that anger place and you start thinking about it from the perspective of I'm angry, revenge, I'm going to make them look bad too. You bring yourself down to a level that's you know, maybe even lower than their intended level. And then in the end, really, who's going to look bad? Right. It's not necessarily that person who's inept or doing things badly but not malicious. It's going to be you who's right. actually spending your valuable work energy on things that are not going to help you in your career in the long run. I think that's one of the most so important true. things to keep in perspective is your goal goal is to have a healthy career, working with people that you like to work with, to have a good office environment. I mean, we know that people are happier in their work if they work with colleagues they respect and like. You don't want to create a situation where you assume that that's not possible for you, so you're just surviving it. You, need, you want to be part of a healthy office. So if you lower yourself to thinking of revenge scenarios or how I'm going to get even or prove yeah. that I was the one who did that project, the only person really that's going to lose in the end is you. That's right. You, you're, this is about you, really. It's about you being the best you, being the most effective you. And if everybody already kind of knows that you're above that and then all of a sudden you're playing into that, you're going to lose a ton of credibility. This really the, – the foundation to a lot of your advice – just stems from emotional intelligence, doesn't it? It does. It does. It definitely does. But sometimes I think not everyone naturally has it, or you no. have it in some parts of your life, not everything. So it requires you to sort of acknowledge that you need to do something to get yourself centered in that, uh, your emotion centered in that way, so that you can take a step back and be rational about what can I do to make this better. Mm. These are good. Give us another one. We have about a minute before we have to go to break. What's another little gem that we need to make sure we remember? Um, I think having the courage, actually, to uh, to speak your mind when you are calm and together. So it's easy to withdraw from a situation or to not confront a bully or um, just just to take a path around the problem. Mm-hmm. If you can pull yourself together and stay calm about something and then address the problem, not the person, this is what I would like to see different or why did this happen, I think that courage is really important. People who can deal with conflict without it becoming emotional are people who are going to advance in their career. And if you stay calm, you might keep them calmer. And, well, there's a cycle, right? right? You'll, you'll feed into each other. And if you stay calm, you're going to have a calmer conversation than if you both, it's escalating. And don't, address, don't make it about the person, which is why the minute you label it, like I was just labeling people that can hardly wait for Avengers. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, so I shouldn't do that. I should just be calm and speak, or speak calmly and address the problem. Best you can. That's really important to do. Best you can. I mean, and especially, you know, your money, your finances, your income, your future, your career, they're all attached to your emotional ability to, to be calm amidst the storm. Absolutely. And again, people, it's not your ability to make a living, but also the, the happiness you're going to have, the it's sense true. of fulfillment you're going to have in your work life. That's really important for all of us. We spend way too much time at work to not feel fulfilled there. Oh, and sure. if you're in a toxic environment, you're never going to feel fulfilled. Yeah. Even closing your office door won't help. 
sometimes it helps yeah. when you need to calm down. But yeah. you have to open that door back up again. That's exactly. Eventually, <laughs> the door is going to open. This is good stuff. We're talking with Karen Dillon, the author of the book, The HBR Guide to Office Politics. You, you really, it, it's, it's a great uh, resource. I, HBR, Harvard Business Review, I love anyway. But when they condense something into a nice little nugget of information with research behind it, it's, it's a pretty powerful tool. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more with Karen Dillon. And she's going to help us take on some of the issues of how to handle a coworker, how to speak a little more calmly to these people. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. You go, Dolly. Oh, that was good. Good times. Nine to five. That was a great movie. And then it became a TV show. James, this was all before you were born. I've actually seen nine to five. Have you? Yeah. You know what? I've actually worked nine to five. Really? Gotta try it someday. (laughs) Okay, see, there's an example. Bad office politics. Yeah. See, that was a put down. I put you down. I'm James Mortimer. Um, You know, that's rude. James, I'm sorry. You're my favorite. I didn't mean to be rude. Apology accepted. Thank you. Uh, And end scene. Okay. We were just doing a role play of what not to say to somebody and offend them. I just blew it in a very rude way. That's why we've brought Karen Dillon into the game. Karen Dillon was a past editor of the Harvard Business Review and author of the um, uh, of two books. One book that came out in 2012, How Will You Measure Your Life, which now that I know about that book, Karen, we're going to have to have you back because I want to talk about that uh, book, How to Measure Your Life. She wrote that with the Harvard Business School professor and best-selling author Clayton Christensen who is a, a just one of the most incredible men, I think, on earth, um, truly. And uh, Dylan was also the editor of the book we're talking about today, the Harvard uh, Business Review's Guide to Office Politics. Karen, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. You, I didn't know you wrote that with Clayton Christensen. I did. Life-changing experience for me. Different this, conversation, probably. I know. You, I agree with but, you. He is one of the greatest men on the face Do you not here. think, honestly... And I, I, t- I do honestly think that yes, I do. Okay, we we have to come back and talk about that because we'll do a whole, we could do a whole show on that. You um, could. Okay, for sure. Now, back to politics. Did you hear our little role play? I did. See, I was rude. You were rude, but you did something um, I thought really right. You you pretty quickly owned up and apologized mm-hmm. and and moved past it, and it sounded sincere. So I was. yes, you were rude. People, people do that unintentionally all the time or sometimes intentionally when they snap. <laughs> but there's probably nothing more powerful than a swift mea culpa apology yeah. that's over and done with and accepted, and you both move past it. And not like a big justification apology, right? Just own it. Just, you, justification extends the conversation and maybe has the ability to trigger people being even more angry or upset. Yeah. You, you may say something that you think justifies it that's just hurt, hurtful or, or mean or whatever. Just own it and move past it. It's the single best thing you can do in an instance like that where you just put your foot in your mouth and said something stupid. I love well, That was rude. Um, no, that's so, that so true because <laughs> I did. And 
I love what you just said. And as somebody that's researched relationships forever, I've never thought of that, though. But justification extends conversations. And some conversations don't need to be extended. They were already acidic. Just <laughs> just let it go and let it dissipate. So don't draw it out with more explanation. Yeah. It's good. What are some other uh, tricks of the trade? And maybe what what should we be doing in specific situations like how do I how does when you know a coworker is furious with you? What am I supposed to do if I know they are mad? Should I do I let them cool off? Do I Go talk to my boss. How, what do I do? Yeah, it's a tricky one because your instinct is that's so unfair. Yes. You have no right to be mad at me. Why do I have to apologize? And you don't. The answer is you don't have to apologize. But you do have to figure out a way to manage that situation to take the tensions down. So I think the best thing you can do is let them cool off. But sometimes you're caught in the, you know, the blowfire of, of anger in the hallway or in a meeting or something. The best you can do is to sort of absorb that it's happening. I hear you. I understand that. Yeah, I see that you're upset. Let's find a time to talk about solutions so that you're acknowledging their anger. Mm. You're not fueling it. You don't begin the conversation when they're really mad, yeah. justifying yourself or talking about the five ways that they're wrong. You, you have to, there's something that's going to explode, is, is exploding. You have to let it get out without cowing. You don't have to, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, really, I'm, you know, I can see I've upset you. You don't want to make it personal about you either, but you have to allow that to come out so that you can try to shift it to neutral ground. Let's talk. I see you're upset. Let's find a talk after, find time to talk after the meeting. Or I think I understand you, but I'd like to, to, to get your point of view a little more clearly. Can we talk tomorrow morning? Or even email if you have to do it. Yeah. You know, I, I saw that you're upset in the meeting. I'm going to come by your office tomorrow. I'd love to talk about this with you. Try to find a way to push the emotions. Let them have the emotions as yeah. human, but not get caught up in it at the same time. That goes back to your earlier point of the courage to speak calmly. I always call it staying in the space. You, ha- you can't have a conversation with somebody if you're not in the space with them. So if you're either Absolutely, running away yeah. or, or creating an uglier space. So you're, you're teaching us stay calm in the space. Let them share their feelings. I love that because that's how they'll get the emotion out. If, you, if, if they'll just share their side... As they talk, that will lower or tend to lower the emotion if you can just try to hear what they're saying, get their story. doesn't mean they're right, but it will lower their emotion because they're talking it out. One trick I used as a manager that was really effective, it was training that they provided to us at Harvard Business Review, but it really worked for me, and I, I was a manager for many years, is as the person speaking, you know, do whatever cues you can that I'm hearing you, I'm hearing you. You don't have to interrupt with you know, condescending, right. you know, I got it, I see, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, just, yeah. just look, catch their eye, be, be in that moment with them, and then best you can when they finish, let them finish. They need to get it out. They're not capable of hearing you. Best you can when they finish to repeat back to them, in a nice way, a paraphrase way, not a parrot type of right, way, what right. you think you just heard. I hear that you're upset about the way I joked about you liking that movie or whatever right, it was right. that you want to say. Um, make sure that they can see you've actually heard them. And it's really effective. You can really disarm someone's anger really quickly. Yes, you're right, because mm-hmm. they, they've started assuming they're going to have to convince you and there's so much to yeah, say and nothing it's there. complicated. If they can hear back from you that you understood me, now you're in a place where you can actually have a conversation. It's, so it's respecting that, that you have some empathy and you, you hear them and you are going to take that on board before you have the next set of conversation about it. It really – I like, too, what you're talking – It was you learned that in training and then doing it. 
I mean, a lot of us just have never had these experiences. That's one thing I love about business and the business world is they provide a lot of training. I worked with Franklin Covey for nine years, and we, we went into a lot of companies doing a lot of just basic you know, human development skills, and we don't get it otherwise. That's one, Another thing I love about HBR, Harvard Business Review, is the very training or the, the learning that you can do daily there. Well, we do practice what we preach. I mean, that is important. We have access to some of the world's best management thinkers. But I guess the bigger point for, for your listeners really is everybody needs to learn. You yeah. know, nobody, nobody comes with this perfect set of skills from birth, and they're, they're magically gifted as a colleague and manager. It's something we all need to learn and practice, and it's hard. You have to think about this stuff, but you can get better at it and make it not so hard. What do you do when you're sitting in a meeting and you, you want to give feedback, but it's critical? Like it's negative feedback. How do you gently soft start that and, and get that into the meeting? Well, I think it's important to feel the courage to speak. So I, I encourage that if the setting's right. There are some times when the setting's not right. You have to assess right away. Is this the right moment? I've been in a meeting where the CEO of the company is presenting new strategy to all, you know, whatever, 400 people in the company. And it's clearly a little bit of a pep rally. It's probably not a good idea <laughs> to raise your hand and interrupt and Take start it on. criticizing things. But yeah. there's probably a moment at the end of the meeting or in the aftermath of the meeting where you can begin to raise some questions, but it doesn't have to come across as an arm folded, you know, I think this is stupid. It, ha- it can be, I think that's really interesting, but I'd like to think through some of the implications of X or Y or Z. Can I be on a team to work on that, or have you had a chance to think about this? I'd love to talk to you about it. So you look like, and, and should really be, I want to help make this better. I think this is, this is interesting and maybe challenging in some ways that you haven't thought about. Can I be part of thinking through this? I'd love to, I'd love to make sure that we've thought through these angles because it'll be stronger and better, mm. and the company will be better as a result. If people see that as your kind of frame, they're far more likely to hear what you have to say than if you're just, we tried that last year. It's never going to work. That's a stupid idea. Right. People will shut that down right away. <laughs> and worse, you've just been labeled a whiner rather yeah. than someone who they want to have help solve problems. Yeah. Now, now you're, you won't have a seat at the table. You won't. You've just, exactly. You've just, the door's just closed <laughs> on you as you're looking in at the people in the conference room around the table and the door closes before you get in. So, and you're, now you're back to the kitty table at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Exactly. It's such a, it is such an art form. And I, that's why I love, too, that it's so tied to the emotional intelligence where, I mean, if, if you have, you know, some people are just intellectually strong. Some are really incredible at what they do, but they may not have the emotional skills to manage their own emotion and reactions as well as managing and, and lowering someone else's. I mean, it's one thing to be able to recognize your own, like you keep saying, and say, stay calm. It's another to actually have the ability to effectively manage another person's emotion to a healthier place. It's true. It is. I mean, again, these are hard. But yeah. one, thing, one thing that I think also you can do is have a trusted colleague, confidant, maybe it's somebody at home, who before you decide to have the conversation with the person who's angry with you or vice versa, um, you run, run through the situation with the person. Have someone you trust to sort of put your perspective in front of them and the facts as you understand them, and, and just get a gauge. Uh, am I right? You know, should, should this person be angry at me? Maybe they should. You know, did I do something wrong? Or um, have, am I entitled to be angry with this colleague? Sometimes it's very helpful to have someone you trust say, I don't know. I think when you 
put your name alone on that document <laughs> that you went into the boss, that wasn't a good move. And I can see that that set off things. Or I think you're justified, but you sound, you're way too upset about a relatively small slight. I might let this one go. It, it, having someone that you mm-hmm. trust to kind of run through the scenario, um, I think can be a really val- valuable resource to you. In fact, the research even supports that too, doesn't it? Having friends in your workplace, it, it does improve engagement. It does improve commitment and a lot of other things. As we wrap it up, give us one, give us the one thing I call it. What's the one thing all of us, if we could only remember one idea from your, uh, your book, Karen, what's the one thing that makes the biggest difference? I think it's in your own framing of everything. I think if you stop seeing other people as obstacles and enemies and people with bad intentions and start seeing them as challenges instead, it sounds goofy, but I think that's the difference between having a healthy perspective on what you can change and fix and work on and just allowing yourself to get sort of put off course. So to me, if you can think of this as I need to be able to work with, I personally will do better if I can find ways to work with a wide variety of personalities. I personally want to do work that I'm proud of and that I'm, that I'm pleased to collaborate with people. If you get the, the most positive frame of reference in your own mind, you're going to stop taking yourself down with the, all those angry emotions that come with the classic version of office politics. Mm. So good. That is so true. And we we appreciate you, Karen. We will have you back. I've got to pick your brain on this other book. She's the New York Times bestselling author. She wrote it with Clayton Christensen. The book we're going to talk about next time, How Will You Measure Your Life? She's also the uh, the great uh, editor of the, the Business Review Guide to Office Politics, Karen Dillon. Thank you so much. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to remain more calm. I'm going to make sure I always see people around me as just a gentle obstacle that I can work with, not evil spawn of darkness. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews is going to be joining us. We're going to get into uh, a little book review or a little uh, movie review. The second best exotic Marigold Hotel is coming out on DVD. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, on Fridays, we like to uh, take a little... uh, field trip out of our traditional topics and go review some movies. Who better to do that for us than Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. Uh, it's just a wonderful website. If you go to parentpreviews.com, you can you can learn a lot about family-friendly entertainment and especially movies. Rod, are you there with us? I am. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Good to have you on the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. What's going on in movie land? Any, anything exciting? Any new releases that are just knocking us over? Well, no, not really, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, and I mean, it, because we are parent previews, we're always the most excited about movies that, that uh, may have some interest to either teens or kids or maybe families in general. And uh, this is the desert of family movies. You know, September and kind of this February-March period are usually when you're not going to find a whole lot of stuff. So all we've got to offer this week <laughs> in theaters is a movie called The Second Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. 
well. And um, and we'll have a review on, up on our website for this one soon. We didn't get a pre-screening for it, but uh, I, what I can tell you about it is that this is the sequel, obviously, to The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, which came out a couple of years ago. And uh, in this story, the, the same guy, his name was Sonny, he's looking at opening up a second hotel. Mm. And so many of the same characters come back. This one, from what I understand, is going to be a, a little bit more serious, a little bit more focused on some of the sexual politics and that type of thing. I think it would absolutely bore kids. And on top <laughs> of that, there's probably going to be some content in it that's not going to be exactly family-friendly. But the good news is we've got some big stuff coming out on home video. So do you want to have yes. a look at that, Matt? Let's do that. Okay. All right. Well, the big one, if you've got kids, there's a good chance that they're going to be wanting to see the Hunger Games on home video. Yes. Um, it has kind of a strange release date. Most home videos release on Tuesday, and this one is releasing today on a Friday. Although I think, I, I, I'm not absolutely sure about this, I think it may have been out on some of the download services like iTunes earlier this week on the Tuesday. But today it's out on all formats. And, uh, of course, this is The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part yes. 1. Yeah, they had to split that book in half, Matt, because they wouldn't have made enough money if they would have only made one movie based on the whole. The art of splitting a book and making a dollar. That They that figured is, it out, haven't they? That is right. One day it's going to be the Matt Townsend show part one. Oh, yeah. The Matt, you know, Actually, it's going to be the, the, the best and then the second best and then the third best <laughs> and then the fourth right. best. It's, and your salary will double yes. and triple in a way. All you go. along yeah, the way. Sure. <laughs> anyway, so Hunger Games, you know, many people, of course, already saw in the theater. This one was a little more, had a little less of the action. It was a bit more of a talky movie, which, frankly, I, I kind of enjoyed that part mm-hmm. of it. But um, the other thing I did like about this version of The Hunger Games was I'm a real media guy. I find media lit- literacy very interesting and in how media works in society. And this one really delves into that because Katniss becomes the PR person right. for the rebellion. And, uh, and so that's kind of interesting when we see how, how people use media to manipulate you know, a mass population and whatnot. So, yeah, and her anyhow, internal conflict with all of that. That was, that, yeah. that was fascinating. But I guess, too, that might be more for the adults. Well, right? yeah, you know, I wonder about that. You know, maybe older teens, they'd be interested in that, too. I don't know. Overall, the buzz I heard from, you know, from my big social circle of 20-somethings that I spend time with, I actually, in my church, I, I'm actually one of the leaders of a group of, of what we call young single yeah. adults, and so I get to hear a lot of mute movie <laughs> buzz from them. And uh, the word is, you know, they found it a little bit, a little bit disappointing. They wanted the story to move on a little more. So I think you're right, Matt. Maybe yeah. for me, because I'm so involved in media, it was interesting. But anyhow, fairly heavy warning on the violence in this film for parents if they haven't seen it or if their kids haven't seen it yet. And, and there's another Hunger Games. When will the other, the final one be out? I guess. Oh, I'm trying to think now, Matt. I think November, December, okay. somewhere in there, if I remember right, is when that's going to be the big release for part two. And that's probably when they saved all, all of the action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll it's be a grand be, Yeah, it really is. It's going to be like Star Wars Episode Three, if you <laughs> can remember way back to then. The story's going to move along very quick. Hey, I've got another home video. Yeah. We've got time to sneak one you more bet. Yeah, one more, yeah. <laughs> 
This one is a direct-to-home video release, I think. If it wasn't, it never did make it to theaters in my area. It may have had a limited theatrical release. This is a movie called To Write Love on Her Arms, and this is based on a true story. There is a, a, a non-profit organization with that same name, To Write Love on Her Arms, and it always... It, all was kind of achieved because of this young woman who uh, she became addicted to cocaine. She was already struggling with bipolar depression, and uh, she started cutting herself and doing all these bad things. This film is actually a very intriguing movie, and parents, you know, approach this one with caution, especially if you have somebody uh, in, in your home or somebody else in your life that you'd like to share this with who is struggling with some of these things. But it's a very positive film and a very realistic film. There's language in this movie, meaning profanities, um, and there's also some uh, discussion of rape and, and sexual situations. But overall, this is one of those few movies, Matt, where we're giving this movie an A grade, even though it's got some objectionable content, the real purpose of this movie is to send a very strong message about how you can overcome addiction and you can change your life. Mm. And so a bit of a heavy film, but at the same time, a very, very well-made film. The other thing I liked about this movie is it shows a practical application of religion and faith. This isn't one of those hit-you-over-the-head, you know, preachy type of films, uh -huh. but it just shows how a church community can help somebody overcome big, big problems. And I really, I really admired that in this movie as well. So it's rated PG-13, out on home video this week. That, again, to write love on her arms. What an interesting... Um, it just dawned on me how sometimes we can use our movies to educate us, I mean, to inspire us, but specifically targeting needs that we have. If somebody's mm -hmm. out there and has a child with an addiction or a cutting issue or just depression and feels less loved, you might be able to, you know, gingerly, carefully go go use some media to help. Yes. And, and the other nice thing about, you know, films like this is exactly, they can, they can initiate discussion. This is definitely a movie, and, and because it's on home video, it makes it so much easier to do that, you know, this is something parents should watch with their teens. And even, you know, maybe you don't have a teen that's struggling with this, but you never know. They may have friends who mm -hmm. are. And this type of a film can be inspiring and uplifting. And, and what I like about it is when I was watching it, I thought, oh, they make overcoming this look a little bit too easy. I'm going to give it away a little bit at the end. In the end, she doesn't really overcome it. She still is dealing with the addiction, but she's made progress. Mm. And I like the fact that it doesn't have this, you know, rainbows and lollipops ending. You know, they, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, but it can be done, and you have this sense of, you know, that if you keep working at this, this is possible. And uh, a very good movie that way. Love that. And it's it sounds... Real. I mean, that's the, the reality is most of the time it doesn't just end up in a perfect, you know, closing no, number. Yeah, it exactly. Just, you just it, you just keep plugging along and, and, and still growing love and powerful yeah. stuff. Well, yeah. Rob, this is yeah. why this is why we love what you do, because you, oh, well, you bring us you. so many other options that we never would have known uh, when people when they go to your site. I mean, everybody, it's just such a basic service you're offering. Parentpreviews.com. Um, they can go and, and look at reviews. Is that right, Rod? Anything else that particularly uh, of interest that when they go to your site, they should be doing or looking at? 
Um, well, we also, I like to remind people, we have a section of the site that's called News and Views, and uh, this is something that we're currently still working on, you know, figuring out exactly where we're going with some of these things. We've got a lot of cool things, fun things that you can do with media, uh, things that you may not know about media, and we also have some some deeper stories in there, too. Like, for instance, it was Dr. Seuss's birthday on March the 2nd, and yeah. we've got five ways to celebrate Dr. Seuss's birthday. <laughs> you know, fun stuff like that you can do with the kids. But then we've also, you know, we've got articles in there about why we don't have more family movies getting nominated for Academy Awards and, uh, you know, that type of thing as well. So, great. so it's a good place to check out. It really is. Parentpreviews.com. Again, Rod Gustafson, thank you so much for joining us. Great resources. And... Some great uh, movies. To Write Love on Her Arms. That might be one you can use to uh, educate, to help your kids, to to help other kids even. Good stuff. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, brand new hour starting up another show. We're going to be bringing on a guest contributor. Lisa Urban Bean will be joining us to walk us through a bunch of learning. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Hour number three of the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. One more hour, and we got a great hour for you today. We're going to be talking about how to conquer the fear of failure, five proven strategies. And there's a little tension. There's just a slight bit of tension in the studio. Uh, James can feel it. I mean, you may not remember this. Uh, somewhere along the line, I made a comment, blah, blah, blah. My mouth was running. And, uh, you know, about how, you know, a lot of the people upstairs, upstairs means the people in the decision-making offices, they've been listening to the show a lot. And uh, now, because of that, they've sent us down an HR person to watch over us, Alyssa Urban Bean. That's Welcome right. to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm here. Where, are we in that, keep an eye out. Are we in that bad of trouble? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we'll you don't see how see. it goes today. Look at She's tight-lipped. <laughs> she's tight-lipped. No, Alyssa really is, uh, she's a producer extraordinaire. She's, she's just here to help me. She's, she's one of our contributors, and she's, she's here to babysit, <laughs> is I think how they put it. And besides, we wanted to give Terry a break. Yeah, he needs a break. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, James and I, we, we were sitting here about how we're always doing the show when everyone else is gone, I guess, doing other stuff. They say they're working, but we're... I, we're, I don't see it. <laughs> you don't see it. We're always on the show. Hey, um, I got a question for you, Alyssa, and this is important because... and So I'm just going to ask it quick, and you just tell me the answer. It's pretty much one word. Are you ready? Okay. What color is my shirt? What do you see? Red. Right? Nope. Oh, no. It's not one of those it is. situations. It's black. No, it's definitely red. <laughs> no, apparently, you have to close your eyes, and then you'll see the color that Matt sees. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, do that. Squint a little bit. I'm Okay. What color is it now when you squint? Maybe blackish red. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're getting closer. Close your eyes totally. What do you see? Black. Totally. Yeah. 
I have one of those special shirts that just it's a different color depending how you look at it. Mm -hmm. And James tried to spend an entire five minutes this morning talking to me about cones and rods and how the light. Yeah. Went way over your head. Totally. Your eyes kind of just glazed over. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was I, just thinking, I just stopped cones, ah, that would be great right now. Ice cream. <laughs> Ice cream cone. Anyway, um, so we appreciate you being here. Just tell us a little bit about yourself quickly. Uh, married? Yes. No, I don't want to brag for you. Harvard, dude. Yes. Yeah, he's very smart. Is he smart? He's a smart guy. So... Does he, I imagine that if you live with someone that goes to Harvard, they're always like doing flashcards in the morning. <laughs> he is always reading. Is and he? that has really inspired me to read more. Are you a big reader? Well, I, I like to do a lot of things. Yeah. And so reading is kind of the last thing I do during the day. And I'll read at night for 30 minutes. But he will take, if he has a free afternoon, that's what he does for his free afternoon. Seriously? Yeah. See, I read a lot on the job. We and do that's a lot so of good. reading here. That's good. Yeah. But. Uh, and I read a lot of Twitter. Yeah. And yeah. that's 140 characters. But yeah. he'll he'll read. That's manageable. Big novels or biographies. And I'm like, that makes more sense. But you're a newsie, too. You're yeah. a producer. You kind of have to. You, what's some? What are some of the news headlines you've been chasing down? Well, I've been fascinated this whole winter season by the snow yeah. situation going on across the country and not happening in, in other places. Yeah. But so in Kentucky, a winter <laughs> oh, storm. Was, yeah, go for it. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. A winter storm dumped around two feet of snow. Two feet's pretty, a pretty good amount. And it actually left thousands of motorists stranded uh-huh. on the highway for up to 24 hours. So what do you do when you're stuck in your car for 24 hours? I don't know. I'd probably watch Netflix. (laughs) That's what I do anyway. (laughs) I I got stranded once, but um, I was saved and it wasn't in snow and it wasn't for 24 hours. But me and my friend just put the seats back and built a fort. Kicked back. Yeah. But I don't know. I think that, I mean, you're in the cold and you're stranded and the cops, 24 hours. the highway patrol, they'd go find these people that are stranded. They'd put them in their cars, wouldn't they? They'd take them to heating places, heating huts, until the roads were cleared. And then they'd take them back to their car. It was kind of like a valet service. <laughs> yeah, they the Kentucky, Kentucky National Guard was deployed. That was it. To help with relief efforts with evacuating drivers to it's, local it's shelters. It's a big deal. Some places aren't... Uh, they're not really well prepared for such snow, but they also they get different kinds of snow. In Utah, we can handle a ton of snow, but if we were getting a lot of sleet and ice, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. We don't do that very well here. No, we don't. Yeah. Worst snowstorm I've ever been in was seriously like five feet. Guess what, guess what state? Let's just start there. Um, Massachusetts. <laughs> Arizona. Yes. No. Arizona. What? Flagstaff, Arizona. Really? I was stuck. I was teaching... On the Navajo Indian Nation tribe down there on their on their in their reservation and was staying in a, in town in Flagstaff. It snowed literally. I like can't believe that. seven feet. Planes couldn't leave. It's kind of up in the mountains of Arizona. Well, and I feel like that state doesn't really know how to handle it. No. And so no, they just they just said you have to close down. The sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> and it will. <laughs> It Which just, is so great. It was, and it was perfect. That was good. So Kentucky's bogged down. What else have you got for us? So 
this is fascinating because Capitol Hill um, has had a ban on slutting yes. on Capitol Hill uh-huh. since 1876. That's kind of well. What? What? Like, don't you want to know the story? Back in 1876, what happened? Yeah, there's always something behind a rule. It was a powerful congressman's <laughs> child was harmed sledding. Really? I uh, know. Oh. Not. <laughs> um, well, anyway, so this ban has been in place mm-hmm. since 1876, but lately it has not stopped. Um, bands of patriots from using their God-given right to pursue happiness. So Twitter accounts show that D.C. residents are resorting to civil disobedience and taking advantage of the snow because there's so much snow in D.C. back our sledding hill. (laughs) That, I mean, seriously, we have so much. We had the civil rights thing from Ferguson come out and 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 all the investigation and how much is going on. That is a movement. Yes. Fighting for your sledding hill. Don't turn it into that. Yeah. And also, they have snow days. So they... Yeah. And when you have a snow day, you just look to do... To fill your day with some fun. Yeah. You got to do something. So that's what they're going to do. Let's go sled on Capitol Hill. And it is... They're kind of protesting, I guess, in a sense. Have you seen uh, Harry Reid? Senator Harry Reid. He's had an eye issue. Okay. He had a, a an elastic band from his exercise bands that he would stretch with. Uh-huh. One got away from oh, him. No. Hit him in the eye. It was bad. It, like he had surgery uh-huh. and it was bad. But um I'm afraid if we have a lot of kids sledding, he's going to start wearing like snow goggles around the capitol. That guy is the one behind saying, "I'm opening up the hill. I'm going to open it up so kids can use the sled hill." So Shout out to Harry Reid. Take care of your eye and get those kids a sledding. I wouldn't be surprised if he went incognito and went down the hill himself. I wouldn't be surprised if it really wasn't an elastic band from his exerciser. It was him going him down the, the hill? He was sledding. Yeah, that's probably it. And then he's going to, yes. Got into a nasty snowball fight afterwards. Oh, and somebody pegged him right in the yep. eye. Suck it. Yep, that's probably it. Hmm. A lot more likely than an exercise Wh- band. Alyssa, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Colorado. Oh, so you know snow. I do know snow. But I lived in Boston. Yes. And I will never I will never be proud of me and my snow experience after living in Boston. Really? Why? I was completely humbled. Because it's a different it is world. It's so different. Just colder? Why? Colder? It's colder. Icier? Mm-hmm. You're stuck. You are stuck. You are completely stuck. And Boston is so old. Yeah. It's an old city. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, the buildings and everything is just so close. There's no parking. And that's why this go round for snow, people have spent hours digging out their car. Yeah. And then they put like a baby car seat in their parking spot, kind of (laughs) claiming that spot. Like, do not take my my spot that I dug out for five hours. And so <laughs> they've marked their territory with their baby yeah, car seat. When I lived out there, I remember pe- people would say, "Oh, you're from Colorado, so you get it. You get all this." And I'd be like, "I actually don't." Yeah, no, you don't get mounds of snow in the street. That's no. all moved out in yeah, Colorado. Yeah, it is. It's moved out, and the sun comes out, mm-hmm. and it it, it it melts. But in Boston, it does it not melt. melt. My worst experience on earth with I rented a car in Boston. And those very small streets you're talking about, mm-hmm. what car would be the best car to rent? Oh, one of those little Tiny smart Tiny little cars. <laughs> compact smart car that people could just put on the sidewalk. No. Yes. I had an expedition. Oh, no. 
during the days when they were re- doing all the construction, the the big dig they were calling it back in Boston. They gave mm-hmm. me an expedition for like a deal. It was a deal. Mm-hmm. But then I found out later it wasn't a deal because I had to like rent an oil truck to fill it up with gas. Yeah. And um, but I I couldn't make it around just without snow. I can't imagine having to turn corners on a snowy place in Cambridge. Oh, it's so bad. Hmm. It's really but bad. But you survived. I did. And now look at you. And now I'm your, still alive. Your babysitting Matt Townsend. Yes, it's so Matt great. It's Our wonderful. babysitter. We need babysitter music. James, work on that. <laughs> James, take a note. James is my uh, James my is my scribe. A oh, lot good. of scribes have gone to the wayside. They don't scribe as much, but I have a scribe. James, uh, mental note. Um, make sure that we get baby music for nanny time with Matt. <laughs> When the people from upstairs send someone down. When they do. And they send Alyssa down to make sure that we don't do anything wrong. Alyssa, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. You're going to walk us through a a blog that you found um, from Vanessa Loader on how to conquer the fear of failure. Five proven strategies. Do you suffer the fear of failure? Think about that. Do you get a little worried that you're going to blow it and you're so worried you're going to blow it that you don't even try it? We're going to talk about it when we come back more with Matt Townsend and our guest today, Alyssa Urban Bean. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, joining us as we sit here, Alyssa Urban Bean. No relation to Keith Urban. Yeah, unfortunately. Are you sure? Kind of cool. How many Urbans could there be? Probably not that many. I bet there's not. How I'm, many beans are there? I think a lot. But that speaks to what, what I don't know. My, my husband knows... His his family have they've done a lot of family history, yeah. yeah. And so you've been doing some research ugh. though on names for kids, and you've just decided there's some names you will not name your children. Yes, like one is what? Okay, I don't want anyone to say why would she even think that yeah. in the first place. Yeah. But in an Elvis movie, Viva Las Vegas, yeah. the girl's name, the main girl's name, um, played by Anne Margaret, her name is Rusty. Rusty. And I actually thought that was super cute. That's really cute. But I can never name a girl Rusty Bean. No. No, that would... It's just bad. Yeah. Is that Bean okay? It's a little rusty. <laughs> a little and then rusty. another one is Navy. I thought Navy's cute, too. Yeah. Um, but I can't name yeah. someone Navy Bean. That's an actual bean. See, that's it. That it, oh, it is a Navy Bean. Yes. There are beans named Navy. Um, but so that's those. But those are colors too. So maybe that's we true. we ought not choose colors. Yeah, I can't choose like a noun. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, wait. Sorry, I can't choose. You can't an, well, an adjective. You what can't, is that? You can't use the word fried. <laughs> yes. Don't name a kid fried bean. No. No. Jumping, can't you? It would just be so bad. But it's, cool. it's a fun name. Well. It has good history. <laughs> you know, a name that's worked for me for a long time is Matthew. Yes. Matthew Bean. Strong. You can't, you can't use that James. That is my father-in-law's name, Matthew. Is it? Is it? Matt. It's a mm-hmm. perfect name. You can't use James because it'll be shortened and then it'll become an alcoholic beverage. Jim yes. Bean. Yes. It's hard. It's, see, it's hard. Uh, you know, it, it's harder if... Um, 
if you didn't like you like the name Bean? What if you what if you didn't like your last name? I know that's hard. But that Urban's hard. kind of a cool name too. Yeah. You could name a kid Urban. Yes, I, I think I, so. I love that, and that's your maiden name. Yes, and I love it. So that's cool. We just keep it all. We just keep all the names. Well, here's the rule: don't be afraid to name your kid. <laughs> Except actually, more people need to be afraid I of agree. what they name their kids. Be thoughtful about it because your kid could get beat up. Yeah. Think of your child. Yeah. When you're naming him. Yeah, my name's spelled spelled differently and yeah. I've I've had I had a girl call me Elise for three years. And I was like <laughs> And she was your babysitter. Yeah. I was just like, What's going on? So That's yeah, sad. be thoughtful, but yeah. I I mean I love my name, so but you're right. It's a great name. So how to conquer the fear of failure. Yes. I think we all have a little bit of fear of failure. I mean I think my career is slowed because of my fear of failure. Oh, Actually, oh, mine too. And just, sure. just some stupid things I do. <laughs> well, I found this article from Forbes.com and it's written by Vanessa Loader. Uh-huh. And she gives these five strategies to overcome the fear, the fears that we might have. And they might come from pursuing a career or pursuing a relationship or just trying something new. But one of her tips is reframing your goals. Okay. So a lot of times, let's say you're starting a new project or you want to launch a product, Mm -hmm. starting a new business adventure, and your goal is to make X amount of dollars by a year. Yeah. I want to make a million dollars first year. Yeah. Be a millionaire by the time I'm 20. Okay. So that's your goal. Yeah. So if you have this fear of failing that, reframe that goal. Oh, yeah. And rather say, what am I going to learn? I, or I'm going to learn something by launching this product in this year. So and tr- what yeah. is that? That's huge. So instead of putting an X amount of dollars on it, saying, I'm going to learn something. What is that going to be? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to learn how to successfully launch a product. Because, I mean, th- th- then it's a learning concept. And you don't need to fear learning because it's Never. not like you're going to – someone's going to say, so did you learn it? Let's take a test and let's see how well you – no one's going to ask you that. It's just more – if it's a learning objective, that's a little happier, a little healthier than a very tangible goal that might not be in the cards. Yeah, yeah. And of course you want to make the money from it, but just reframe that goal mm-hmm. to say I'm going to learn something. I'm going to learn how to successfully do this so I can keep doing that's it. Great. That's um, a great Another example. tip is visualize the obstacles. Yeah. There there will be obstacles that will come no matter what. So think of a situation where you're afraid of failure, whether that's a relationship or using the same example um the business startup. A business starting a, start, starting a business and visualize hitting an obstacle. And then at that moment allow yourself to feel the fear. Mm-hmm. Recognize okay, that is a little scary. Yeah. And I'm a little scared of it, but that's okay. Um, I'm going to push through and then just visually visualize yourself moving forward. Yeah. Well, and, and noticing, too, because if you notice the obstacle, everyone else visualizes I'm going to what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up in my Toyota mm-hmm. and out of my garage, I'm going to start a multimillion dollar enterprise. And after about five years, I'll buy a Mercedes <laughs> And it'll go seamlessly. I mean, there will be problems, obviously. But we kind of only visualize the ideal. Yeah. So if you have a visualization of your life that is only idyllic, 
your subconscious is probably underneath saying, you better watch out for this because you're clueless. Yeah. You know, your psyche has got to be – it's got to know that you're underprepared. You're not going to have a Mercedes if you don't have a clue – deep down what else is going on. So look at the obstacles. That's cool. Yeah. And your expectations with that will will hurt you. Absolutely. If your expectation is to have a Mercedes in a year, yeah. that's just that's right. probably going to hurt you. Well, and what if that year the Mercedes model is not worth having? Yeah. you got to think about you that. You just killed yourself. <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> Go with a Hyundai. <laughs> Another thing to do is when you're facing a moment of fear because of failure, ask yourself three, these three powerful questions. So the first is, um, what did I learn? So when you, when you respond, so you're going to learn how to respond to perceived failure and you say, what, what did I learn from that? A lot of times when I have something hard going on, I always have to say to myself, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm learning something. Yeah, this is good. This, this is, is all good. learning on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Another question is, how can I grow as a person? You re- We really question. grow from just overcoming these fears. And then the other is, what are three positive things that, that I'm facing even though I have this fear? Yeah. And I think that when we... When we just really search for those three positive things, it's going to be hard, but yeah. it's it's worth it. When it takes your mind, it seems like off of the fear. Yeah. So now you don't need to worry about this supposed train coming to mm-hmm. hit you. You're now into real learning, real growth, real blessings. Yeah, I agree. And I feel that a, a lot of times we we are so fearful of fear and of failure that we actually parala- paralyze ourselves. Oh, yeah. And so we don't even allow ourselves to feel that. So actually feel that, feel that fear and and know that and recognize it. And then you can learn to dissolve it. Yeah. And go with it. And and you don't even have to fight it as long as you just can recognize, oh, that's fear. And I have things I can do about that. Let's take a break. Uh, We'll come back. We're going to continue this discussion with uh, Alyssa Urban Bean. She's uh, the hall monitor for BYU Broadcasting. They've asked her to specifically watch over Matt Townsend uh, today on the show for some odd reason. We yep. call it Babysitting 101 with Alyssa Urban Bean. We'll come back and also continue this discussion about fear. More tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show after this break on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, on the show, they're worried. Uh, the up, the upstairs people, we call them. Uh, Don Corleone, my boss. Don Corleone, Shaline. They all, uh, they just think they got to watch out for me. So they've asked, uh, they've asked uh, an adult friend to come sit and... Make sure that James and I play grown-up for a little bit. Alyssa Urban Bean is her name. She uh, is a producer, uh, has a bachelor's degree in journalism, broadcast journalism as well. Is it journalism? Yes. Yeah. Communications. She's a communicator. And she opened a nanny job, a nanny (laughs) uh, 
service and she's now just watching over. Is it more, are you looking for, are you trying to make sure I'm okay or is it more James you're worried about? Just the people upstairs. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. Is it James? <laughs> it's James. I'm pretty sure it's Matt. I think it's you, Matt. Uh, James, make a note. We don't choose favorites. Okay. That's such a good nanny. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that? Yeah. Never wow. mind the note. Okay. I just strike, wanted to strike keep, the note. I distracted you. Uh, strike the note. Okay. There you go. Note stricken. Alyssa has been uh, teaching us how to conquer the fear of failure, five proven strategies. And we all have it. And it doesn't have to be like, I didn't run for Congress. It no. could just be, I'm afraid to, you know, say something stupid. I'm afraid to go speak at mm-hmm. this meeting. I'm afraid to go live my dream or d- dance or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I remember having a humanities teacher Mm -hmm. in college, and he said, I was a dentist for years, and that's how I provided for my family, but it's not what I wanted to do. I actually really love humanities, and this is what I want to do. I've always thought about that and how he he did a sacrifice for his family, and it probably was really scary for him to transition after – being a dentist for however many years and to completely change. I mean, who goes from dentistry to humanities? That's I know. That's weird. It is. It is. And so I think that that's a great example of kind of digging deep and thinking, well, what what does it do that I actually really want to do or what is keeping me from doing something that would cause me to be brave? Yeah. And I think that when we are trying to conquer our fear of failure, we have to uncover our story because sometimes there's another layer there. That's so true. Yeah. You would, you know this, but because that story is the bigger problem, right? It's we, there's some thought behind the fear. Yeah. In his instance, it probably was that he was scared. He couldn't provide for his family Uh teaching and he could, but that fear kept him from doing it. And so, You want to separate your facts from the story. So the fact might be, I did a product launch and I wanted it to generate a million dollars, but it only generated a very small portion. So that's a fact. The story might be, wow, my dad was right. I am a failure. You know, there's like something else. Dad told me this wouldn't work. Yeah. And so if you, if you find the story, it, it can be rewritten. Yeah. So know that whatever fear that you might have to to do something else or to do something more, it can be overcome by rewriting your story. It's a I call that a dueling commitment. So a dueling commitment is where I have a commitment to start this company, but I have another commitment deep, deep, deep down inside of me to not look stupid, for example. That might be the other story. And if my fear of looking stupid Mm-hmm. is bigger than my desire to make a company work, then I will probably never make the company work. So I do this all the time. I want to lose weight. That's my statement. That's my goal. But deep down inside of me, um, I, but I still end up driving and getting McDonald's. Well, why would I end up at a mm-hmm. McDonald's window if I really want to lose weight? Mm-hmm. Well, I have another story going on. Like I want – back in the old days, I wanted to see – I think it was like eight clients a day. Mm-hmm. If I saw eight clients a day, I could make so much money and it would make me – it would provide for my family. So if my other story was to see eight clients a day, then I actually had created systems and structures and employees that would make sure I was seeing eight clients a day. That yeah. actually kept me busy and I literally would have 15 minutes to go eat. 
Mm-hmm. And that, without even thinking through it, because I never looked at my story, I never knew that my problem was really other thoughts that I had put in there. And that's what you're saying. We've just got to go uncover the other thoughts that are battling with this goal. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's uh, And that's so important. And we don't do that very well because we'd have to think. Exactly. That's so hard. It is so hard because especially when fear is paralyzing you, You it is so hard to think, well, what else is there? Why is this happening? Is it because someone said this mean and hurtful thing to me that just tore me down and now I have to brush off that dust? Yeah. Yeah. And and move forward through through that fear. So And and fear doesn't get easier by avoiding it. It no. just it actually just compounds fear the next time because all your thoughts are like, Yep. Here well, we go again. Yeah. Avoiding it is where I think you become paralyzed you from bet. it. If you're scared to get in a relationship instead of thinking, I'm this is actually a little scary for me, so I'm not gonna do it or I'm gonna do it anyway, even though it's scary. It's so different from I'm scared of a relationship. It's so paralyzing. I can't even think about it. I'm never going to do that. Yeah. Oh, see, this is – and you know what? I guarantee out there as they're listening, you're feeling this, aren't you? You know what it's like to have this this thing that you've always wanted to try, but you just don't dare try it. You just don't dare. So go start uh, digging a little bit deeper into that. What else you got for us? So the last one, honestly, is to surrender – And feel the fear. I kind of mentioned this previously, but allow yourself to to just recognize it. Yeah, to to feel it. And mm -hmm. oh, I'm feeling fear. I'm afraid of something. Yeah. And if you feel that, it shows that it can quickly dissolve and dissipate. And the situation can be more manageable. When we recognize it and when we when we put a name on something, yeah. we can manage it. Yeah, a you little own bit it now. You mm-hmm. labeled it for heaven's sakes. Exactly. You can do something with it. We own that. That's that's so true. That uh, And I like the idea of feeling it too because we've always talked about on the show that the emotion's only going to last a minute or two, mm-hmm. maybe 90 seconds I think it is. Then that feeling will go away. And if you just recognize, oh, I'm having that feeling. We talked about this yesterday with anxiety. If I, Oh, mm-hmm. I'm feeling it. Yeah, there it is. You just sometimes you don't even have to do anything else because mm-hmm. just recognizing it and naming it that's that's fear, then we've created we've created a solution already. Yeah. It's not me. And then maybe when once you have that name to something, yeah. you can have a storage of things in your head of what do I do in those moments? So, for example, I, I know that yesterday you guys talked about breathing. You bet. In anxiety, when you recognize that I'm anxious, I'm going to step back and I'm just going to breathe for six seconds yeah. in and out yeah. for a minute. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to do because I'm feeling anxious. See, and that's the, the yoga girl. With... That's the yoga Oh, you. did you know that I did yoga? Uh, yeah, it's all over your Facebook page. Oh, really? <laughs> Whenever I have a babysitter come watch me, I always have to make sure I know what's on her Facebook page. Then I have evidence. Yes. But the breathing is so big, isn't it? And you have to almost breathe in such a way. You have to breathe so your belly extends. Yeah. You don't always have to. But that's – Deeper. It's deeper. So you mm-hmm. get air into the deeper parts of your lungs. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's refreshing. Oh, except James did it yesterday after we talked about that. Hyperventilated. Oh, no. He fell off his chair. And flopping all over the ground. It that was might happen. But don't yeah. worry. Just get back that's up. Right. I told him. Try I, again. I'm an EMT. Do you need CPR? I asked him. Do you need CPR? Wow. And he's everything. like, he kept saying, no, I don't. But I kept pushing it. Anyway. 
We've got everything on the show, you guys. <laughs> We're here to help. Alyssa's going to hang hang around with us. She's going to babysit us all the way to the end of the show. She's great. That was easy. Fear of failure. I'm not even afraid of it anymore. <laughs> good, good. Don't uh, be. We'll be back. When we come back, BYU Sports Nation, our friends, Spencer and Jerem, they're in Vegas. They are in Vegas. We'll be back talking about that with them and all that's going on there. Man, they are working like crazy there. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. There's the hoedown music for the Matt Townsend Show, which means it's time to party with Spencer and Jerem from BYU Sports Nation, who, by the way, are hanging out in Vegas. How are you guys? Well, we're fantastic after a very, very busy day of basketball and the Matt Townsend effect. The legend lives on. It's happening last night, man. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. Dude, I can't keep this up. With a second and a half left, mm. short corner, baseline right, knocks in the game winner for the first time, well, to beat St. Mary's for the first time this season. So uh, just kind of. wins by one. Yeah, she had 30. Re- really cool, really cool experience to witness that. You know, you guys have got to be exhausted. How many games did you do, Spencer? I called two games and then uh, did a couple of halftime shows and a bridge show. Jerem Jerem, uh, produced, and he did a bridge show and a halftime, like a couple of halftime shows. The both of us were involved in some capacity in all four games plus a show. Listen, this is what we signed up for. We love it. Yeah. We we are not the only ones working hard, though. We have a crew of, I don't know, 20 or 30 down here who everyone's involved in every game. So it is it is fantastic. Did they send I'm a, trying to win Browning points with the crew as well. Did they send a babysitter with, with you guys? Um, because I don't know what it is. but Yeah, his I, name's Ben Bagley. He's our producer. He is the producer <laughs> babysitter. They mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but upstairs here at BYU Broadcasting, they sent me um, a, a, a. They don't call her a babysitter. They just set a friend to watch me. But Alyssa Urban Bean is in the studio, and she's kind of like watching me to make sure I don't get in trouble. <laughs> Do you guys have that? Is this why you're more reserved today, Matt? Mm-hmm. Like big sister, big mm-hmm. brother situation. I'm even turning away from her, talking like always watching, like, <laughs> like she doesn't know we're talking about her. <laughs> so I guess of all the 20 guys no, there, you probably don't listening. need a babysitter. Whatever. And you're in Vegas. Everything going okay? You probably don't have time to even, you know, walk the street. Literally, we, we came to the arena, and then we went home from the arena. That's then, how it and works. And then we woke up and came back to the arena. That's that's how it works. No, it's it's fun. The Orleans cool. uh, staff's fantastic. The West Coast Conference is fantastic. The the games were exciting too. The first game was decided by one point. The last game was the BYU St. Mary's game. That was decided by one yeah. point. Full slate of games today as well. BYU Sports Nation, of course, coming up in thirteen minutes. And then four games again today. Two women's quarterfinals, two men's play in or opening round games. Wow. So it's gonna be exciting. Including the LMU Santa Clara men's game tonight, which is the the winner will play BYU Monday in the quarterfinals. Mm. BYU will actually be practicing. They're here now on the court behind us during BYU Sports Nation. So if you're watching on BYU TV, you'll get a little taste of what's going on. In Did practice. you? That's, Don't tell Dave Rose. That's some great marketing. You even got a time for them to practice during the show. We're extremely powerful. <laughs> By the way, this delay words, uh, words that 
This delay makes it feel like you guys are just always mesmerized by what I'm saying. Like we that. are mesmerized by what you're saying. We're thinking about it sincerely. We we uh, yeah. we listen and then well. responding from our hearts. Now, what you are, you're you're underslept and you're over uh, carb carbs carb loaded. Hey, uh, here's one. Here's something. The I, media room snacks. Is it good? Are you crazy. eating a lot? Here's what I want to know. Well, don't really eat lunch. Well, good. That's how you keep that great figure. Yeah, the, yeah. The delay is getting to us. You're right. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's the deal. I don't know if you saw this in the news. We've been talking about it on the show. Would you? Are you guys excited for Avengers two to come out? So excited that you would spend. Oh, 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 Jer- oh, Jer- oh. Jerem is the person to ask about this. Oh. Oh. Holy you just cow. made his life by asking that question, Jerem. Okay, yeah, would, I eat it up. I love it. Would yeah, you stoked, go? Would you stoked. go watch twenty seven hours of other Marvel movie heroes? As a lead-up, there's a theater that's going to have 27 hours a blockbuster so superhero. All the Marvel yeah. movies, yeah. In, not Daredevil though. That was terrible. Probably not. Well, my, you know what? They might the throw that of, in. The rest Just, of them. Yeah. Okay. But would you? Would you ever Ooh. go sit yeah. through 27 hours of it? Wow. I have a child, so no. Oh, but see, yes, that is so responsible. <laughs> oh, but yes. Okay. Irresponsible. Okay. Um, I'd probably, t- I'd probably take her. Just run around. That's good. I think I've seen you at the movies, Jerem, with your daughter running around. That's... No, we've never taken her to the movie theater. Okay. Liar. <laughs> Not a single time yet. <laughs> We're too you, scared. It's too loud. You guys, you're great. And, uh, Jerem, we'll hook you up. We'll, I'll get you a pass to the uh, Marvel Movies Death yeah. Fest. Wow. Sweet. Whatever. You really did just make his life. That, that was amazing. I've never oh, seen uh, that much energy out of Jerem. Well, hey, we'll have to email you. Uh, we saw. Never mind. It's okay. Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> off air. Okay. Off air. Off air. Okay. Let's yeah, keep it there, air. boys. Off keep air. it there. Off air okay. conversation. All right. Why can't you shoot it on air? That's good. No, don't. Well, don't do it. Just save it, and then we'll have a really good talk when you get here. <laughs> but, but do take no, pictures. Geez. Take pictures. Bring them nope, back. Nope. <laughs> good point. Good point. All right, guys. Uh, take care. Have a great show today. And uh, let's, keep, let's keep the energy. Let's keep the karma. Let's keep the MTE working. Hashtag MTE. You got it. Hashtag Woo! karma. Matt Townsend Thanks, for the guys. win. <laughs> Once again. Well done. Oh, man, they got it good. <sighs> that delay is crazy. I mean, really. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I'm just, I don't know. Am I just that fast, or are they just that slow? Or is it just a delay? James, answer that. You're the tech. It, well, that's the thing. is, It's hard to say whether it is them. I, I don't know. It, it, it's me. It, yeah. It's me. It's yeah. not them. They're highly trained professionals. Yeah. But, man, the Cougs are doing great. This is good stuff. Uh, back in studio with uh, Alyssa Urban Bean, not my babysitter, just – a good friend that's trying to make sure I don't get in trouble. Yeah, we're having a good time. Good times. So we were talking before the hour, before the break, about um, fears. And as we wrap up the show, we always like to kind of just do a quick review about fear and other news stories. Do you have any news stories that we have to touch before we get to the end of the show? Any big ones? Well, very, very pressing. What? We previously talked about the snow that's going on in, yes. in Kentucky and Capitol Hill with the sledding. So in upstate 
New York, well, Albany, New York, a radio pop crush radio <laughs> has decided to play Christmas music year round. What? 24 seven. Um, they say that market research revealed that there's a strong market for holiday standards no matter the season. Do you what? think this is because of all the snow? Yes. They're delusional. In the middle of summer, if you're playing Let It Snow, I'm going to not listen. But maybe you want to hear Joy to the World. Mm. So there's there's different genres yes. of Christmas music and That's themes. Well, see, maybe though, maybe what they ought to have are more themes like for Easter and play more Easter oh, music. Oh, yeah. But I don't know what I Easter music looks like. I don't know any Easter music. Like. Yeah, I don't either. Um that's interesting. Uh, by the way, uh, James, mental note. Write this down, please. Um, we need to play more music from the holiday season during the show throughout the year. Okay. Uh, I got one for you. What? Uh, do you like, like that. that song? Well, Alyssa, what does it do when you hear that? Play it again, James. <laughs> You feel it? You closed your eyes. You shook your head with like glee. I yeah. I mean, I don't have any children, yeah. and I don't have any children that are obsessed with it. That are even my nieces yeah. or my nephews. Yeah. Like you have no one. Healthy, stable children. Uh huh. There's no one in my life that's obsessed with it, and I think that's helped me. Maybe let me give you a taste of what it would feel like if they were. <laughs> oh no. You feeling that? Hey, honey, turn your movie off. Honey, shut it. Honey, quiet. Okay. Get off my back. (sighs) No, it is, it is Hmm. ruthless. That was hard. It is, but. I'm drained. Yeah. I think if you watch it with the whole movie, it's so good. Let's see. Let's just see. Play it from the start. Play it from Uh, the start of the movie. But but that's not a Christmas. Well, I guess it could be a Christmas song now. That's going to be played during the Christmas season for sure. I doubt it. No, it has to you be. Think? Totally. I don't know. We're always looking for more more Christmas um, songs. I'm, I think maybe. I mean, maybe maybe that's maybe that's the new thing. May, it could be, and we're talking about it in March. But that's because we're very normal. Yeah. And everyone's thinking about Ma- it, including Albany, New York. Yeah. They're just. They're going to do it. Christmas. That's why, um, th- that's why John Travolta went so crazy over uh, Adina Menzel's name. Yeah. He called her Adele Dazim. Yeah. But you would too if this is what you heard. <laughs> over and over and over! <sighs> You'd think that if... That song was played so much, you'd get the name right. I know. No. People no. don't forget Elsa, though. They don't forget, they don't forget the character's Elsa. name. No. Yeah, that was a great show. Though. I, I love that movie. We, you know, I related to a lot of the characters in that movie. <laughs> I don't know why. We can really dissect that movie about overcoming fears. Yeah, that's and... what we ought to have you do next time is have you come in and dissect that movie. We could do that with so many Disney movies. Yeah, but maybe. But why? I maybe there's a lot of good st- content. I don't know. Well, I, <laughs> maybe I, not. Whatever. Probably I appreciate not. it. I, I'm glad you're here. 
I'll if you want, I'll help you write up the report to take okay. upstairs. Yes, I have to write up a lengthy report, but it will be <laughs> it'll be good. That's good. I bet you're a psychologist trying to figure out what's going on in this head of mine. No, no, good. far yeah. from it. Uh, this is Alyssa Urban Bean. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Seriously, great so help. Fun. You helped us carry that hour, and you let us enjoy a little role playing activity on Let It Go, which is half the battle. Yes. Very true. Let's just sit in silence for a second. We had a great <laughs> Let's show. Let's breathe. Let's breathe. I was just breathing. Man, my belly pops out when I breathe like that. <laughs> uh, that was a great show because today we talked about debt, student debt. Mm-hmm. We didn't even get personal on that. We didn't ask too many people if they had it. We got into um, – we talked about fear and conquering fears. We had the Harvard Business Review uh, book on political uh, – on office politics. We've learned a ton. Wow. We learned about some movies that are coming out. And we enjoyed Alyssa Urban Bean. Thank you, you so much. Thanks it was for so being fun. Here. And uh, we'll make sure my dad pays you for babysitting. Great. Yes. What is the going rate? You know, $100. I think, yeah. Oh, I keep, think that's it. <laughs> that'll stop this. This is it, folks. Thanks for joining us today. Remember, we can't do the show without you. And uh, we love to give you the ideas, the tools you need. Till Monday, my friends, back with more ideas. Go make it a great day. <laughs>